Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 275th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that promises to only release a single version per week, so long as you keep giving us money. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening. Good evening, James. Good evening, all of our listeners. Good evening to the two pro traders who are standing in my driveway this afternoon. Uh, looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. These days, I'm sure they'd be happy to sell you some Modern Horizons 2 action. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, there was pro traders in your driveway this afternoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had that russian time spiral or mastered by a little while ago ah uh, yes and i was uh kindly deemed the guy who was responsible for distributing it for our the bounce captain as it were yeah and uh it turned out two two gentlemen were making a road trip on the way through the area so rather than spend the, the chunk of change to put the three boxes in the mail they just stopped by and picked theirs up Waved at you from the driveway? Yeah. I'm also... Well, you, well, you peeked menacingly between the curtains? I was kind enough to actually come hand it to them. I was not in the middle of a phone call like oh, I was wow. the last time you stopped by. So we chatted. And I, them. I gave them all sorts of food recommendations. I also mm. have Jason Allsbox, which I'm going to hold hostage until he uh, tweets better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh <laughs> Let's talk about our show this week. Uh, segment one, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. We have some modern to talk about. Unsurprisingly, lots of action over there. Segment two, our top paper movers. A lot of cards moved in price this week. A lot of ass to do with modern. Imagine that. Uh, segment three, our cards to watch. James and I will talk about cards that we think will do well in the future. Mostly modern looking stuff. Imagine that. And segment four, our topic of the week, Jason Alt will be on, where I will threaten to throw away his box. And also we will talk about Modern Horizons 2 and what it means for EDH. Probably a little bit less than something like Manor Legends, but still a conversation to be had. Um, so, I mean, right off the top, we have this modern challenge. To, to uh, There's a modern challenge. There's a modern league as well. Lots of action here. Um, definitely so, a lot of flavors of decks here, both revisions of current stuff and basically new things. Uh, my takeaway, I think the biggest note here for me looking through all these results was Shardless Agent is here in a big way. Shardless Agent's looking good. There's a, there's a lot of cards looking good in the Modern Horizons too. It is, it is probably the greatest immediate and most immediate impact from any set ever on the format, which is in many ways pretty much what they promised. Um... I think when Modern Horizons 1 came out, there was multiple cards that people started testing with and that did reasonably well in the format early on. You know, the Urza decks were going pretty crazy, pretty fast. But Hogak was really the name 
of the game for most of that summer until they finally got rid of it. Because remember, they didn't target Hogak right away, reluctant to ban a card they had just printed. They went after uh, Bridge from Below and then had to double back and get rid of Hogak when people realized they don't actually need Bridge to win. Um, but with Modern Rises 2, the, the brewing has been fast and furious. Modern has been absolutely insane uh, over the last week on Magic Online because they got the earliest access to the product. And as the MH2 drafts fired and archetypes started to filter through the various Twitch streamers, things got pretty crazy in terms of MH2 demand to the point where almost all of the major uh, Magic Online vendors raised the price they were paying for tickets by like a solid chunk. I think it was 10 or 15 cents. They, they had been severely depressed for most of the year. Um, and rebounded with a vengeance with all the action uh, people coming on to Magic Online to play Modern because, of course, they can't do so on Arena. And the folks in our Discord and elsewhere that like to try to short um, uh, Magic Online cards by buying them on opening weekend, expecting them to crash soon thereafter, got hammered because... As we're going to see when we get to the Magic Online movers of the week, a lot of this stuff that should have normal would normally have gone down with a standard set just went absolutely stratospheric. <laughs> and anyone who was shorting has been completely blown out and was forced to cover along the way. <laughs> so uh, it's been it's been quite busy. Now to kick off with the meta game recon review, we're looking here at both the modern challenges that were on June 6th and June 7th. We're recording on Tuesday, so these would be the Sunday and Monday challenges. And I'll also uh, call out a couple of the crazier decks that I saw show up in the 5-0 list, which of course is just a random dump of stuff. And in a week where everybody is testing all over the map, uh, means even less than it normally does in terms of what the meta is going to look like. I think... but. I think the I think the leagues are worth keeping an eye on right now, um, and I, like I, I know what you mean, they're much less meaningful than the challenges are, but it, they're still like interesting to see ideas germinating and how people yes, are using cards, sure. um, and they can really put you on to something before it catches a wave. And you can, you know, you can see something be like, oh, well, you know, I didn't see this in any of the challenges, but this looks real interesting in the league. And then when you see a streamer playing it three days later and having a good day, you can be like, I'm in. Like, I already saw it do well over here. Now I see a streamer working with it. I've now seen it. Like, I've got two different data points. Like, this is enough for me to care. Yeah. So jumping into the first challenge, we have a blue-white take on that kind of merges Stoneforge Mystic packages with death and taxes as it currently exists in the modern uh, ecosystem. They're running four Elite Spellbinder, four Amiria's Call, four Watcher for Tomorrow, a card from Modern Horizons 2 that has popped up here and there along the way. Uh, but nobody's really made a big deal about thus far. Four Solitude, which of course is the new Path to Exile on a Stick Evoke creature, and four Hengegate Pathway. Um, I'm calling out these pathways every time I see them in Modern because I'm seeing them more and more often in more and more archetypes, and it's starting to look like they are very much uh, posting up to be multi-format staples. Well, the uh, I know you've been a, a fan of the pathways for a long time, and they were definitely. I, I wasn't staring at the mana bases uh, as I read through this, but they were uh, certainly a present. I, I did notice them a couple times, um, so they're do, they're doing okay. I, I the the blue white stone forge list here 
was um, the very first one I saw. And immediately I saw those four solitudes. And over and over, I found that solitude was a more common theme than grief, or for that matter, the other three, who I don't think I saw them once. I'm sure they're sneaking out there somewhere, but uh, multiple decks with solitude. But I think, I don't even know if I saw any grief, maybe one. Solitude is, is just slots in, I think, a little more straightforward because it's a very obvious effect. It's You know what it does. You know who wants it. You know it's good. Whereas something like grief kind of requires you to sort of build from the ground up to make that happen. Second place list was a pretty stock humans list with almost no updates. Um, that's, you know, somebody just taking a tried and true deck into a, a weekend where they knew people were going to be going crazy, and either because they couldn't be bothered to update or because they wanted to prey on all the loose lists people were testing, uh, <laughs> managed to make their way to the top. I, I did. Am- I would say, are you still, are you moving on to a different deck or are you still going to mention that one? Yeah, if you got comments on humans, go ahead. I, I did catch a burn deck that looked like it was almost entirely devoid of Modern Horizons 2, so somebody else with that uh, plan. And uh, the humans one had the Shardless Agent, which I thought was relevant because that is a human. So that's uh, good for them and a R-type where that card is going to slot in really, really well uh, because getting two for ones with that deck is excellent. And uh, additionally, did you good catch point. that? Uh, oh, go ahead. What were you going to ask me? Nope. Good point. Did you catch that uh, elemental deck that showed up in the league? <laughs> in the 5-0s, yeah. Yeah, like an actual legitimate like elementals deck. I was like, what? What? I mean, that one shows up every so often. We've been seeing that one for a while. Yeah, but now but it's got fresh week? tools to play with. <laughs> I don't, I didn't, there wasn't anything new in there, was there? I didn't think there was, or maybe there was, and I missed it. I, I looked well, at I think, a lot of lists today. I think all the, are the, are the Evoke creatures incarnations or are they elementals? Uh, they're incarnations, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they don't get anything from that. Yeah. It was just funny. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's no. Let me find that elementals list along the way here. We can uh, I'll have to go dig it back it. up. So yeah, the Amulet Titan was in third. Um, this was already a great deck that didn't need any help, but they are making use of four Urza Saga card, which is far and away looking like the most ubiquitous and busted uh, of the cards in the format. We were complaining about the new Yawgmoth's Will, but I haven't seen that anywhere this week at all. Um and but urza saga is absolutely everywhere and probably top of the list to get banned um just from the sheer presence of play across multiple archetypes um it is an enchantment and a land so it does feel like people will be able to uh you know find some way to deal with it but we'll see if it just ends up being a you know a hyper efficient modern super staple that makes its way into the top 20 modern cards and sits there comfortably for years or if it leads to decks that are dominating the format where if you're not playing saga you're not getting anywhere yeah uh time will tell so yeah i i think saga seems pretty potent um the second the second stage doesn't let you draw or make mana right it doesn't take away the previous ability it does not take away the previous ability. No, I think it gains it, right? This is what I was trying to figure out while I was reading it. Because I thought I thought that you put a lore counter on it and then it did that thing this turn. No, because it gains it. So the... the oh, uh, oh at, because it's the way... Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's gaining abilities along the way. Okay, because I was trying to figure this out. I'm like, okay, so you play this on turn one, you get the mana, but then on turn two, you can't make the mana with it? I'm like, that seems really weird. But this is what it is. It's you you play it on turn one, you make a mana. You play it on turn two, you make a mana. You On turn three, you make a mana, search for an artifact, and you lose the card. That's Correct. what it is. Which is still solid. Uh, still very playable. Yeah, I, I think that this this seems like it's a little easier to slot into a lot of decks than, again, something like the, the Green Yawgmoth's Will, which, like, Grief is going to require you to, to build something new. That's not just going to... You can just throw that into something. Whereas Urza Saga slots a little easier into some existing lists and is a very obvious inclusion in a couple places. But I agree that this is kind of top of the list for stuff to keep your eye on right now in terms of format legality. And it seems wild to be talking... Like, almost irresponsible to be talking about bannings like this, like, the first weekend. But that might have been true under the old dynamic, where we didn't have cards banned, like, from literally every set that gets printed these days. But now that we're in that world, it's, like, unlikely that we make it to the end of the year and Modern Horizons 2 has not been touched. So just trying to keep an eye out for where that might happen. I mean, Kalheim and Strixhaven have largely been toned, seem toned down. I mean, Belki was was problematic, but mostly because of a rules issue. Um, the Saga going to get a zero or one casting cost artifact just has so many applications in this low slung modern format. Sideboard cards, combo pieces, etc., etc., etc. Great affinity decks, as we're going to see a little later. Um, so yeah, the Yavimaya Cradle of Growth showing up uh, all over the place mostly is a one of is the thing this is going to be one of those cards where it's for sure going to be a gainer over time but people don't need to buy four of them at a time necessarily mm-hmm. so i'm going to be looking at you know the premium version uh of of Yavimaya and looking to go pretty deep on it because it's going to follow a pretty similar path to Urborg, I would imagine. Yeah, and it also seems it's uh, much more like a, a like a tutor target, right? Like you probably don't need a playset of this type of card, but you know, EDH players and the like will be the kind to go after that. So that makes sense. Um, fourth place, another teamer, another shardless deck. Uh, this is you've got it labeled here as shardless footballs, but it's like just teamer good stuff, basically with Shardless Agent cascading into Crashing Footfalls, which seems to be one of the big um, lessons right now because you get Shardless Agent and two Rhinos. But you've also got some Seas and Pyromancers in there, some Magus of the Moon, because it plays uh, Bloodbraid Elf as well. So, you know, if you really want to live high and large, you Bloodbraid into uh, Shardless Agent into Footfalls, which is going to be pretty backbreaking for anyone trying to play a fair game. There's a bunch of cuteness going on here, right? Because Fire and Ice counts as, as four CMC as part of how they fixed the Valky problem. So you oh. can't hit so you can't hit Fire and Ice off Shardless anymore. Oh. So that that means that you always hit Crashing Footfalls off Shardless, which is why these decks pretty quickly have gotten rid of Asvertold and gotten rid of Ancestral Vision. Um, because they want to make sure that they're like ancestral vision says, I have a carded card resource advantage over you. It may or may not play out in such a way that I win this game. Whereas crashing footfalls says, I'm presenting the threat. I'm presenting ten damage across three bodies right now, and you either deal with that or I'm going to win the game. Yeah, I think that ancestral vision is very good. Drawing three cards is very good. Uh, making two four four rhinos is also good. 
I have trouble believing that's better, but I think that it is very easy to put yourself in a situation where it's obvious on how to play and win with two four four rhinos, whereas the drawing extra cards might require a little more finesse, a slightly different deck. Um, and the same way that beatdown is always good week one of a new format, you know, the rhinos are definitely the beatdown here. The other thing is that Bonecrusher Giant and Brazen Borer are looking better and better. Seeing them all over the place, and the thing that's cute here is that you can hit the Petty Theft and Stomp uh, versions off, uh, or sorry, you can you get access to Petty Theft and Bone Crusher, uh, sorry, Stomp, uh, despite them not being hit by Shardless Agent, as, as far as I know. That, that's what I was trying to figure out. If you cast Shardless Age, or cast Bloodraid Elf, now Bloodraid Elf will, will, if you cast Bloodraid Elf and you hit Bonecrusher Giant, can you play the spell side of it? Or do you only get the creature? I don't think so. Be, because if you can't play the spell side, that means Shardless Agent goes over it. Well, but if you can play the spell side, then I think Shardless Agent might hit it. I, I, these, so these, uh, <laughs> I wish I knew the answer to this. I'm going to presume that you, if you, that Shardless Agent goes past Bonecrusher Giant for the yep. same reason it goes past Fire and Ice, and also why Bonecrusher is good in that deck because now you have a two mana instant spell yeah. that doesn't get in the way of your footfall. So we're we're gonna go with that. Yeah, that's what I was going get trying to get to. There was that Petty Theft and, <laughs> and Stomp are available to you without them getting hit by the agent the and the thing is that they're running four of us of both right oh you keep and saying petty are, theft and i did not realize that was the alternate texan brazen bar where i forgot like i yeah. didn't know the name of the card i just knew brazen bar where i forgot the name of the adventure yeah Bot- bottom line these at first seemed like standard cards uh they're not standard cards they're very much modern cards i've seen them in a bunch of different decks they tend to do work um this Shardless Agent Footfalls deck is going to continue to get revisions, and I'm not sure if it's Tier 2 or Tier 1.5 uh, at this point, but definitely worth keeping your eye on, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. Now, 5th, 6th, and 7th in this Modern Challenge on June 6th, we're Living End, Living End, Living End. Yeah. Uh, and I think in my read here is that the, the meta didn't seem to be pro-offering a ton of graveyard-based decks, and so they felt like they could slip in and do some work with a with an established archetype. Keep in mind, leading into this week, Living End decks had already been doing well and presenting well. So the pilots may well have just decided, you know what? I still think that I'm, until you prove otherwise by beating me repeatedly, I'm just going to keep doing my thing and force you to eventually address the graveyard in your sideboards. Yeah, well, getting, again, getting Shardless Agent is quite potent for them because it hits nothing else. So it's a guaranteed connect for Living End, but it's also a useful card to just be able to cast in general. I, right. I mean, it's better than the other Cascade options that you had. and Sol- because Solid upgrade. Yeah, and because of the way it works, you get the Shardless Agent after the Living End is resolved, so it gives you an even extra body. And you also get to use it for, you can force a negation with it, like it exiles to force a negation. Like it just seems like it does a lot of the things that that deck wants to be doing. And it's already a... a, a a pretty tuned and competent list so getting just a straight power upgrade is again good on an opening weekend eighth place deck was hammer time upgrades there include four esper sentinel four urza saga i'm pretty high on sentinel 
And there, there has been some banter back and forth in the Discord as to whether this card is actually very good. I, I think it's not just very good. I think it's excellent. And I think you're going to see it set up as a multi-format staple. The reality is that for a single white mana, you force them, especially in formats like Modern and Legacy and even Vintage, that want that are running on relatively slim mana bases. You know, I think Blue Red Prowess tends to run 19 lands in Modern. Um, and they tend to play most of the game with between one and three of them in play. They're often sacking fiery eyelets and so forth to try to get cards back in hand to close the game out. And because of that, they're constrained. A lot of these decks are constrained on mana. I mean, you have decks like Titan who start constrained and then explode and then try to win. But a lot of the low slung aggro decks are trying to be very hyper efficient with their mana use and. The Shardless Agent being, I mean, the um, Esper Sentinel being in play forces them to make inopportune decisions. If they want to follow through on their game plan and cast their 2-drop and their 3-drop, they have to accept that you're drawing cards as a result. Or they can take a turn off, potentially, and get rid of the Sentinel and then keep rolling. But then you've basically time-walked them for one white. The card is definitely potent. Um, and I feel like we gave it credit as well when we talked about it before uh it i mean it is non-creature like there's a small limiting factor in that regard but i mean in a world where everyone's playing shardless agent on turn three every time they connect with a non-creature you're getting to draw because they you know they probably have tapped out like i i, I do think the card is pretty strong uh yeah, yeah and, and arguably stronger the further back you go because the more the lower slung the mana bases and the more the greater the likelihood that people are either comboing off or storming or they are um, they are looking to uh, cascade into spells as you said or they're you know casting a bunch of zero casting cost artifacts in vintage or whatever all of those situations force them to deal with it and this is putting aside the the base use case for Esper Sentinel which was that it would be a decent smothering tithe imitation from EDH which is still true. Yeah, I. Uh, it is a potent card. I'm, I'm just trying to think about it. It's, it, and as you go older, as you go older, like it's worse in that you're getting a one mana one one. Like that's not as great. But at the same time, the effect and the, the tax is harder to pay, and the effect is more pronounced. It's a strong card. It's a strong card. Could end up being a top ten. Oh, it's definitely. I think it's my top five for the for the set. Oh. The uh, certainly top ten. So modern challenge June seventh, the very next day. Uh, instead of blue white stone fortune taxes in first, we had an affinity list, and this is an updated version. Um, and it's you have to start. We're going to need to start figuring out how we're going to refer to these lists because there are multiple variants on affinity floating about. Um, I saw streamers playing variants that look much more like original affinity where it's not about modular cards at all. Long before there was Arcbound, Ravagers, and uh, uh, Hangerback Walkers, and Walking Ballistas, there was just cards that, like Frogmite, that came in as a 2-2 for free, and Mirror Enforcer that came in as a 4-4 for free. And because they gave us two cards that are exactly down that alley, one is an actually improved Mirror Enforcer, and the other is a 2-2 flyer that comes in for one blue. It's basically a thought cast on a stick. Um, those decks exist. 
But the one that won this challenge was the modular-focused one, running for Urza Saga, of course, for Zabaz, the the legendary modular creature that helps, uh, <clears throat> that gets in flying damage or can trigger your modular scenario by destroying one of your own artifacts. They're running a Power Conduit 3, the Ozolith out of Ikoria. Um, keep your eye on the premium versions of that. Two Throne of Geth and four Hardened Scales. So up front we were like, can they run Naya and still make this work? Apparently so. Yeah, they get there. The, I, these Affinity decks, some of them are pretty wild. There was even, you know, we there was even one floating around that had... Uh, all 12 artifact lands like the the dual artifact lands that i noticed was that was that this one that was that was in the 5-0 list and it was actually not an affinity build that that i flagged that but that one is a real weird one yeah just another artifact build i should say yeah and this this one has a whole different thing this is four etched champion four glint nest crane four stoneforge mystic uh and they're only and they have one batter skull and four nettle cyst nettle cyst is the mini batter skull that basically get, gives uh the germ token plus one plus one for every enchantment and artifact you control uh for counterspell for dispatch which is uh uh to plow shares with no downside if you have th- uh three artifacts for galvanic blast which is four damage uh with no downside if you have three artifacts and for lightning bolt and two storyic rebuttal so it's like jeskai like mid-range control because you're basically your end game is a stoneforge mystic package and you're just killing pathing and countering whatever you need to in the meantime and Mm -hmm. then all of their lands are as you said the uh, new artifact dual lands that come into play tapped Mm -hmm. and then they're not even running like like uh amulet of vigor or anything they're just straight up taking their lands into play tapped yeah yep they sure are uh i notice in this um, this first place list, this modular build that we were talking about with the Ozolith and like the Throne of Geth, is the Urza Saga is particularly nasty here because that last trigger where you get to go get an artifact that's zero or one means you can go get your hangerbacks and your walking ballistas, like or your Zabaz, which is a major engine for the deck. Um, Basically, all of your creatures except Ravager. Yeah, but and like being able to just okay, okay, on turn three, now I have the the hangerback walker for my turn four play type of thing. Um, it's very potent for a land. There's a, there's some there's some strength in these decks. I mean, there there's also a lot of artifact hate, so we'll kind of see how that ends up playing out over time. But also worth noting that the, one of the ways they sold they solved the Naya problem is they're running for Craig Crown Pathway, so more pathway more pathways there was four pathways in the both of the first place decks in modern on the sixth and the seventh mm-hmm. so now second place was another teamer shardless footfalls this one built a little differently still has the shardless agents into the footfalls but they made space for two jace the mind sculptor and three subtlety uh reducing uh some of the the other uh inclusions like season pyromancer and magus of the moon so getting rid of the mana denial uh element in favor of more controlling elements um, I suspect that they this there will be some jostling between these lists uh, to to come up with whatever the optimal version is in a few weeks. Third place, we got five colored Mizzet, still very much a thing. As I've said many times, this deck is unlikely to go anywhere because every time they print a new cadre of multicolored cards, they just get to rotate in whatever the new hottest thing is. And in this case, it's two general Ferris Rockerick, 
which is the guy that makes four four golems every time you cast a multicolored spell. Um, not surprised at all to see that showing up in here it was kind of predicted right from the outset. Yeah. Uh, fourth place here, we've got Yogmoth Combo, uh, which is basically the green black creature combo uh, build that's been around for the better part of two years. Uh, but they're running one Grist, uh, the Hunger Tide, which is the new green black planeswalker, four Ignoble Hierarch, and one uh, Yavamaya uh, Cradle of Growth as uh, interesting upgrades. Then you've got this Troll King food deck. In fifth place with Asmo, Emery, the Feasting Troll King, which seems to be sort of the major that's your, that's win condition. Bi- that's your Hogak. Yeah. Oval Chase Daredevil, which uh, I will admit to looking up, that is a... Oh, if this had loaded faster, I would have sounded better. A 4-mana four 4-2. Four Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you can return it from your graveyard to your hand. So this is just discard fodder, as best as I can tell. And it, with the Underworld Cookbook, too, right? Like, that's what you're doing with that. Yeah, so, so basically, you can discard uh, a card, the Daredevil, to the Underworld Cookbook, which creates a food token. The food token is an artifact that brings the daredevil back to your hand Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. That's cute. It's a shame you have to tap to do that. (laughs) You just go or otherwise you'd be able to go infinite. So this deck is very real. Like this is not a deck I would be putting into the rando five O list that are going to disappear. I've watched enough of this. Now this deck does a lot of work and they can pretty consistently get their troll Kings out that becomes a 7-6 Vigilance Trample that people have to deal with. And unless they exile it, it's not gone permanently. Because the next time they get three food tokens, they can sack them and return it to the battlefield. He doesn't come into play tapped. And when you cast him from your hand, you get three food tokens. So it sets up bringing him back at least one more time, even if you find a way to deal with him. So... These decks move, move fast and do a lot of work. The Asmo basically gets discarded and then into play. And then you can sacrifice two foods to tar- have a creature deal six damage to itself. Which yeah. is helpful against the pro-black, pro-red, pro-green things that might be brought to the table otherwise. And th- there's a lot of cute interactions here this is another one of those lists that i expect to go through several revisions as they try to figure out what is necessary based on what the rest of the meta looks like and what works and what doesn't i've already seen five or six different like iterations of this list um but certainly worth calling out that feasting troll king all of a sudden is create is like gifting value to people that that cracked uh eldraine cbs because the as we're going to get to in a bit the extended arts and foil extended arts went through the roof um, on, yeah, on the back yeah. back of this deck doing well. And those those were, you know, basically bulk up until this weekend. Now, the thing about Troll King is this is a one-trick pony. This is the only deck you're going to see Troll King in, some kind of a food build. So if this falls out of the meta, Troll King falls off out of the meta, and you're definitely going to want to sell into that hype. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to say, even though this could be become like a tier two or even a tier one list, 
right? Uh, that becomes a mainstay of modern. That's a lot less likely than this just being sort of something that looked good on the first couple of weeks that fades away. So I would take the profits where I can get it and not be grumpy if it ends up being way good because how could you have known? Yeah. I mean, the this is another deck with four Urza Saga because it can go get the Witch's Oven to combo off with Cauldron Familiar, well, grind with Cauldron Familiar, or get the Underworld Cookbook, which is is part of your combo. Uh, now, sixth place was Blue-White Control. Uh, most notably, Prismatic Ending. It seems to be making inroads against Path to Exile. Prismatic Ending is the new uh, white spell out of Modern Horizons 2 that basically uh, looks at the colors that are being used to cast it to decide what it can exile and is doing i saw it do work in a variety of shells all through the weekend pretty good against those low slung prowess builds where all of their creatures cost one um even though it's sorcery speed it's flexible enough and doesn't give them a land and doesn't give them any life so you're trading not being able to cast it at instant speed for you know being able to go to town but the thing is in the blue white control build you have teferi time raveler and so with Teferi Time Raveler, of course, you can ha- cast sorceries on your opponent's turn as though they were instants, and in which case your Prismatic Ending gets turned on as a instant speed removal spell. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed this to be quite that powerful, but I mean, if people are making it work, then then good for them. Um, I guess, you know, for one mana, you're getting to remove something that costs one, once or one mana for one mana removal, and then you're at two mana for two two mana cost permanents and so forth. Um, and I mean, you're just out of luck against Feasting Troll King, but not having to give them anything, especially if the format's speeding up, uh, also pretty good. So I could see that kind of ended up being maybe a split, a one, three, or maybe sometimes like a two, three type of deal. Well, and the other interesting thing about this is it doesn't just target creatures. It's non-land permanent. So you can get rid of yeah. Renin Six. You can get rid of Urza the Saga. <laughs> un- underground Cookbook, whatever. Um, Oh, non-land. Uh, oh, no, that, no not Urza mind. Saga, but you can get rid of a lot of other problems. Someone was also and, pointing out that there was a... Uh, I don't remember which card they referenced, but it destroyed enchantments, so it could get rid of Urza Saga. Sure. Um, but that doesn't say... The non-land is the important clause. They're interesting. I wouldn't have caught that other the, the spell otherwise. The other thing I, that I've seen popping up is this list ran one, but I've seen other copies running more copies of Brainstone, which is basically just the three-mana Brainstorm on it's a one mana artifact but then two and tap sack to brainstorm mm-hmm. you wouldn't have thought that three mana to get to a brainstorm effect would be worthwhile but it's, it's showing up so apparently it, that effect it, is that powerful in the right deck it makes sense to me um makes sense to me <laughs> in the, i mean it was all over historic and they don't even have fetch land so cards turns out brainstorm is a good card good magic so card. there's a lot of work for you Seventh place deck, Ad Nauseam, a deck we've seen multiple times in in prior weeks, but a few upgrades here coming out of Modern Horizons 2 and other recent uh, uh, card pools. First of all, three clear router pathway here. That's the blue-black one with the absolutely stunning art, some of the best uh, land art ever in Magic. Um, And the MH2 upgrade for the deck is a full four copies of Profane Tutor. The tutor Mm -hmm. everybody told me was not playable. Who told you it wasn't playable? Lots of people said, oh, too slow. I'd prefer, like, 
this is not good this won't get played <laughs> it's a free tutor folks in a format where there are ways to cascade into it there are ways to cast it for free and in this case they're not even doing any of that they're just happy to put it on suspend and go get the card they need to finish the game later yeah yeah i i i would have told somebody who said that this wasn't good enough that they were wrong they're lucky i wasn't in the discord that day uh demonic tutor is real good i mean i guess i mean i guess you can look at this and say well you know demonic tutor at three still hasn't been good enough is it really good at two with suspend uh sure seems like it i'm surprised nobody's experimented with it at all in any of the as foretoldy shardless agent lists because especially in post sideboard games tutoring gets a lot more interesting Yes, value goes up as the number of like tutor, super like, relevant cards in your deck changes. Yeah, shardless agent into tutor, tutor to get like engineered explosives against prowess or something. That doesn't seem crazy. Nope. Um, I wonder if it's just a matter of people not being sure how to use it yet. Most of the shardless decks I feel like we saw did not have black. That seemed to be nope. less common than the teamer variants. Yep. Eldrazi Tron, pretty stock looking list. Uh, in eighth there so yeah modern is looking like absolutely the wild west uh hard to say exactly where we're gonna land um but i would imagine that at least at tier two affinity the shardless decks the food deck uh those all look like fresh additions that are likely to stick around for a while you say the shardless decks like that's not 30% 30% of the format in seven different archetypes. Well, the teamer shardless footfall decks okay. that are typically are some combination of the, the giant, the brazen borrower, shardless agents, crashing footfalls, and then a bunch of control elements. They still seem to be trying to figure out whether they want subtleties or endurance or fire and ice or whatever counter spells. Yeah. I've seen Jace, the mind sculptors, but some form of teamer mid-range like that seems very likely to continue to be a presence now. Oh which yeah, would, which was unimaginable six months ago. Well, I, yeah, I don't. I, we're certainly not getting away from Charlotte Sage in some fashion anytime soon. They will have to do make a lot of changes for that to not be good. All right, so let's move on over to the top paper movers. There was hundreds of cards on the move, so this is a pretty heavily filtered list. But we'll dive on in anyway and cover some of the most important uh, motion of the week. Ancestral Vision out of Iconic Masters, 9 to about 11 50 or $12. It's only about 30% gains. I only throw this, uh, make sure this was on the list because the Chargers Asian decks were testing this very heavily like five days ago. And now it's just completely off the agenda. I, I, I haven't, haven't seen it being run in the last 48 hours by any of the streamers or folks on Twitter that have been posting their lists. So this is the kind of card where I think alongside As Foretold, you want to get it while the getting is good. Like I sold eight foil copies of As Foretold. Did the people that buy those ever get a chance to play them in public? (laughs) Probably not. They are going to make a point too. Uh, I mean, my Ancestral Vision pick from uh, a week ago certainly looks a little rougher now that we've seen kind of how the format has broken. But I will say that, I mean, it's not great for that pick today, but that doesn't mean that it's gone forever. 
Uh, I mean, they, the format could shift such that ancestral vision ends up being good. Crashing footfalls could end up getting banned if they decide they don't like that. And not that I think that that's likely, but it is p possible. Um, so e even though it doesn't look great for the card right now, I don't think it, we have signed its death sentence here. I think one of the problems for Asvertold is that Shardless Agent is Asvertold with a body. In, in any way that it would be relevant. And Shardless Agent in the mid-game is not nearly as dead as Advertold is. Because Advertold, if you're holding a card that you can cast for free, is totally fine in the mid-game. It basically functions like Shardless Agent. But that's not automatically the case, whereas casting the Shardless Agent typically is. One of the things people need to remember about Cascade spells is that Cascade trigger goes on the stack whether they do something about the agent or not. Yeah. Um... It is for certain, and I would have said this any week that we talked about this, that uh, as for Toll is a extremely potent card, but will likely require very specific scenarios to be useful. Whereas Shardless Agent is much more broad um, and going to do a lot of jobs better. Nine out of ten jobs, Shardless Agent will do better. The question is whether that tenth job is meaningful. Um, and that's where As Told can can do better. But, yeah, it's so you're certainly going to see more Shardless Agent than As Told for the in the near future. That's for sure. All right. Uh, so moving right along through here, because we do have some time restrictions tonight. Yeah, Frenetic Frenetic Afrit at a Mirage, 40 to 55. That's a reserve list card that's getting pushed by the coin flip EDH commander that was revealed. Uh, we saw it pump real hard last week. This is a continuation of that. Arcbound Ravager, 20 to 40. This is the uh, Modern Masters version, but pretty much all the versions are up because of the modern affinity testing. Ravager is a part of any of the modular builds. Lord of Atlantis, this is the Time Spiral Time Shifted. And I don't mean Time Spiral Remastered. I mean the original Time Spiral Time Shifted copies <laughs> going from... 15 to 30 on the back of merfolk being heavily tested but notice there are no merfolk decks in any of these top eights so the merfolk deck is improved but i don't think that pushes it into <laughs> tier one or 1.5 i think it's still pretty clearly yeah. a tier two or 2.5 deck Mer merfolk is better but so is literally every other deck in the format yeah. so yeah, yeah. uh i i'm i will say i'm glad to see arcbound ravager and these uh affinity modular decks picking up a little bit steam because i've been underwater on arcbound ravager inventions that i picked up a while ago because that deck just fell off the map <laughs> that card fell off the map in affinity lists and demand for that has pulled away a bit but these modular decks are giving me hope when they started revealing the modular creatures in the in the previews uh, 10 days ago or so I snapped off a play set of Arcbound Ravagers that was underpriced on card market. Fast forward a few days, they haven't shipped, and the vendor is like, oh, the price is going up, we're not going to ship these. Just, mm. just straight up put that in writing. Oh, did he really? Just Yeah. Well, at least you can give <laughs> so the guy like, credit for being honest. <laughs> well, I, I guess I guess I got to go straight to customer service then. Thanks. Uh, okay. I've got it in writing. Thanks for putting it in writing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sunhome, Fortress of the Legion Foils, uh, that's a usually a card you use to kill people with your primeval titan and the titan decks are only getting better so no huge surprise to see the original ravnica printing going from 14 to 30 in foil after quite a long time of being used as a one of in that deck goblin lore at a jump start copies going from 2 to 450 this is a card that lets you discard a bunch of cards and there was some versions of the troll king food decks that were running this alongside venge vines 
So they would dump a whole bunch of stuff into the yard. Um, and one of the things they would dump would be the Asmo. The Asmo would go get the Underworld thing, cookbook, and kick thing. And you would have cast multiple spells for that turn. And so then your Venge Vines would pop out. Uh, it doesn't look like that's going to be the version that's going to be dominant. Um, seems like this version that's running Emery and the Overchase Daredevils and so forth is probably going to be the one most likely to survive the coming evolution. Uh, but that didn't stop cards from moving uh, early and often. Venge Vines, same deal, 14 to 36 on those, on the based on those same food decks. UMA copies went 13 to 28. Sell, 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 <laughs> if you've got all that. Because, again, it could very well post up as the dominant version. But... It's not necessarily so, and right now the prices are very attractive. So Yeah, I mean, if, if you're getting paid on these, sell them. Again, I, this was something I talked about last week. Um, so I'm not telling you not to sell them if you are getting paid. I, I, I am reluctant to claim any victors or even lean too heavily in favor of anything at the moment or different versions because it is real early and those Urza lists the first week of Modern Horizons 1 certainly didn't look like what they did by the time that got banned. Um, there's a lot, a lot of time between now, a lot of room for, for stuff to change, I should say. The main indictment on the Vengevine versions of the list were consistency. That it, it, if you didn't get the three spells off, then the Vengevines were just sitting there and, and it was kind of like, are they really improving my game plan? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, which is a valid concern. Overgrown... I didn't say it will be good. I just said I'm not, I, I, across the board, I'm, I'm not taking any of this as gospel yet. Sure. Vengevine and uh, into Overgrown Tomb, original Ravnican Foils, 90 to 240. I don't know what the real price on the market is right now, somewhere between 100 and 200, I would guess. But here's the thing original printings of great dual lands, um, they're just going to continue to drain and continue to climb. There's never going to be any more of the original foil Overgrown Tombs. There's just going to be more versions of Overgrown Tomb. So for the people that care about that, that, that's a narrower and narrower audience as time goes on in terms of percentage of of total players, perhaps. But it's still a greater and greater number of people as the game grows over time. Mm-hmm. So if that started out as 150 people in the world that were willing to pay top dollar for those, we might be up to 3,000 or something. And that will be more than enough to clear out the five or six copies you'll see posted in any given major marketplace. Yeah, I mean, it seems wild, but you don't need, there are so few of them, you don't need that many people to be willing to pay for it. That's the thing. Violent Outburst was showing up in a bunch of those Cascade uh, decks as one of the ways to get to Crashing Footfalls, and also in the Living End decks. So going the foils uh, of those from Alara Reborn, I believe, going from 5 to 14. Uh, Power Conduit was showing up in the Affinity lists. I sold two... F- Japanese foil signed copies that I got for, I think it was 11 each or something like that for about 40 each. So okay. those are those are certainly moving. Uh, and Power Conduit's real cute in that deck. Um, so that's where that's, and that's a mirrored in foil that I don't think's ever had a reprint. Uh, Flame Slash out of... Uh, Rise of the Eldrazi foils going from 16 to over 50. You're seeing a lot of that in blue-red prowess because it can kill rhinos. 
Bloodbraid Marauder out of Modern Horizons 2 started out very low in the like $1 to $3 range on pre-order and then popped up to 10 as people started experimenting with it in both Modern and Legacy and it started doing work. I think it uh, already cleaned up uh, a challenge, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Legacy in a updated version of their Blue-Red Pro S. Uh, one with nothing foils out of Savers of Kamigawa went from fourteen to forty-eight. I have no idea what's going on there. I don't know yeah. if that was. I don't know if that was a, one of the Troll King variants where you're trying to dump your whole hand into the yard. Not sure. That, Didn't see. That's it. like never been good. Like that that use of one with nothing is it's never been good enough. So that's interesting to see here. Asmo, which is all I'm going to give you on that card. Uh, pre-ordering was like three to four dollars five six other places now it's popped from call it eight to call it high 20s on the back of being a four of in this food deck uh flame rift not flame slash from nemesis was just reprinted into modern horizons 2 this is one in a red sorcery that deals four to four to each player uh death shadow players realized how good that is in their deck because deal four to the opponent and make my death shadow plus four plus four is pretty sweet that so, is actually very good for them. Yeah, original foils going from 8 to high 30s. Uh, very unlikely to come down. Army of the Damned at Innistrad foils from about 10 to somewhere near 40. Uh, Innistrad height building is all I got on that. Uh, people probably looking... Have been going through like like era by era and picking off the foils. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's a cadre of folks that are just going after the rarest foils they can find and are marching right through all the listings army of the damned is 7300 edh deck so it's not nothing nope, and i mean it's been reprinted but i think that's the only foil printing of it is the original one right um, that's higher than i would have guessed for edh so that's pretty solid i mean it's 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 solid to just be something that you kind of ignore or toss away but then later on you get a very relevant number of zombie tokens so in a, in a format where that mana cost isn't as prohibitive it's pretty cool Arcbound Slith at a Dark Steel foils from two to twelve on the back of Modular being a thing. This is the kind of spec that like I put that in air quotes in case you couldn't see it through the the speakers. Um, that takes off because people don't understand the decks. <laughs> they just start going on Gatherer and looking up keywords and then grabbing things. Uh, this is not going to get played in the Modular decks, as far as I can tell. Um, this next one's real funny. Portculus uh, out of Stronghold. Went from 2 to 18. Featured prominently in our Pro Trader EDH game last Friday. There was only four of us present and probably three other people watched the VOD afterwards. So one of those people went out and bought a bunch of Portculus after they saw what it did in that game. Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> but one of them is to blame. Wow, that is that is kind of funny. Your own little, your own little moment there. Because here's what happened to the game. There was a new player playing for the first time ever in EDH. He had just put together a colorless deck uh. around Karn's Silver Golem. And as they were setting up, uh, one of the other players was asking him, you know, what's what's the power level like of your deck? And he was like, ah, it's just, you know, beer and popcorn, fun. Like, I just built it and whatever. So as he starts playing, it's basically a prison-style deck. And one of the early things he drops is Portculus. And the other decks are heavy, heavily creature-reliant, and they get stuck with not being able to... Basically locked out of putting creatures into play. I think one person was playing Chainer, where he like taps to bring a creature back from his graveyard and into play, but he couldn't get it 
basically couldn't reanimate anything because the portculus was in play and nobody had artifact destruction. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm playing Aloro, gaining life every turn, off enchantments and so forth, and not caring at all if there's any creatures in play. <laughs> so I, I, by the time the game, by the time they finally had to gang up on me, I was like 100 life. <sighs> yeah, yeah, Aloro gets silly real quick. I, in franchise, EDH players know that the guy with Aloro is the one you go after. Gotta kill him fast. Um. Okay, and then uh, finishing off with that Feasting King, Feasting Troll King extended art. Uh, the two to thirty-four on those. My God, sixteen hundred percent returns. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the people are actually paying for it, but I know that you should be selling it for that price. Foil extended arts went from four to eighty. <laughs> two two thousand percent returns. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not two thousand. Yeah. Something yeah, two like thousand twenty times. So. Yeah, if you can sell the EAs anywhere near twenty to twenty-five, you get out. If you can sell the foils anywhere forty plus, you're fine to get out. Oh, yeah. um, throw them up on eBay, throw them up on TCG Player. Somebody will probably buy them because th- this deck looks real. Some people are going to build it. Smoke them while you got them. Yep. Now they need to put uh, that artifact creature in that triples the token, so they're just getting mountains of. Clue token because they, they didn't have that in there, right? That there are definitely meme decks around that going around. They don't play it in the Food King deck because the, the Food King deck is serious. But the people yeah. that were memeing with that card did create a bunch of ridiculous game states where they basically broke the online platform. <laughs> um, but a lot of them end up in the losing bracket. Like they might have one spectacular win against somebody that durls too for too long. But the decks that are real fast can. Take take the the meme deck down. Yeah, maybe, but maybe he will end up being real. Who knows? Maybe. Well, in EDH minimum, because I'm assuming that with the double Innistrad sets in the fall, we're gonna get clue tokens again. So that guy is just gonna be good this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, all right, moving on to Magic Online Movers. This is basically just confirmation of what everybody's been experimenting with. You have Vindicate at Modern Horizons 2 going from 250 to 585 or so, 140% gains. Black-white builds, like mid-range control-y builds in Modern. Keep in mind, Vindicate destroys friggin' lands. So the, the decks that can cast Vindicate multiple times or like Esper decks that try to Snapcaster back Vindicates are... <laughs> Can Stone Rain you into nothingness? I saw a blue-red prowess list in the hands of uh, uh, one of the Star City guys um, the other night. Just get taken to town by Vindicate cast in three consecutive turns on their lands. Just basically completely locked them out of the game. Uh, Scion of Draco, I saw... Didn't show up in the top eight list we were just looking at, but I saw a bunch of it in the Shardless Asian Crashing Footballs list because... You can basically get Sign of Draco into play with two mana. If you uh, put a Shockland into play and then fetch for a Triland or vice versa, you can end up with all five uh, land types in play on turn two and cast the Scion, which tends to be real good. Um, Dothy Voidwalker, people are experimenting with in a bunch of black white lists for the most part, from what I can see. Uh, went from five to fourteen and a half tickets, so 188 percent gains. Asmo out of the food decks went from about one ticket to almost four tickets. That's almost 300 percent gains. Endurance is the green evoke creature. Uh, went from ten tickets to f- mid 40s. That's a mythic. Keep in mind, 350 percent gains. 
Shardless Agent itself was about 0.75 tickets, went to almost 4, so 400% gains. Thoughtmonder, which is the aforementioned 2-2 uh, blue flyer artifact with affinity for artifacts, uh, went from 0.5 ticks to 4.5 ticks, so about 780% gains. And Urza Saga uh, takes the cake, went from 7.5 ticks, which is already pretty high for a rare, um, to over 70 tickets. Bonkers. That's <laughs> 10, 10x multiplier there. Yeah. Uh, you're feeling pretty good if you grabbed a playset or two of those thinking it was going to be pretty decent. Oh, yeah. And then I think Ragavan isn't on this list, but probably could have been. I know Ragavan was a big mover. It's the most expensive card in the set, but maybe it just didn't, percentage-wise, it didn't crack 100 in the last week uh, because I mean, it, it, came, it came out of the gates pretty high. Yeah, i say it started out pretty high. Okay, moving on over to Cards to Watch, Segment 3. I'll dive right in here. Uh, Emery Lurker of the Lock Extended Art. I know that I've been on this and or the foil EA as far back as October of 2019, probably. And there was a big gap there where it wasn't really showing up much in Modern, but it's been slowly, steadily gaining audience in EDH. It's an 8400 EDH Rectex at this point. And now we're seeing it as a four of, both in the food decks that are popping up in Modern, but also in various versions of Urza decks that are getting tabled, and also affinity builds. Emery is a very busted magic card. Don't don't be fooled. This, <laughs> this card was always going to get there. It was always only a matter of time, because the text on it is just too silly. So I'm going to call the EAs, which are pretty drained out and on a relatively steep ramp, for zero to six months, uh, and I'm talking about non-foils, not foils. Uh, ah. going from 10 to 20 plus i was wondering it's like boy that is a uh, 20 only 10 bucks for the extended art foils that seems way low lower than i would have guessed foils I'm, are in are, the 60 to 70 range and probably whew. will double and go 150 to 200 within a year maybe a little more maybe a little less yeah there just reasonable. isn't very much left yeah it was um I think when Emery first came out, it was overshadowed a little bit by Urza, right? Like Emery looked really good, but Urza ended up taking the cake on all the artifact shenanigans and sort of led that parade for a long time. But it seems like they've, you know, I definitely noticed more Emery today than I have in the past. So people are going back to the drawing board with her. Um, and as we've seen with a couple extended art cards and non-foils seem to be doing quite well. Um, probably because people want to buy paper cards to play for real. So, you know, they're okay taking these non-foil premium versions. Well, this, this, the, the reality is that EDH players do not just default buy foils. EDH mm -hmm. players buy a higher per capita quantity of foils, uh, in part because they're not worried about their cards rotating out, in part because um, they don't need to worry about judges complaining that their cards aren't perfectly flat. But you're going to see EAs drain, like Emery drain from both sides of the equation. True. But. Yeah. EDH players will absolutely buy non-foils and foils. Um, no question. You, you, but you, and you get that, but you get that bonus for a purchasing power out of the, the non-EDH players, right? Where it just becomes so much more relevant if, uh, for the non-foils when the card is 
more than EDH specific. So yeah, I, I, I liked this more when it looked like it was a foil extended arts for $10. <laughs> but even still, I think paying 10 bucks for the non-foil extended arts is going to work out very well for you. I think 20 is probably going to end up being a conservative price point on these uh, a year or two from now. Agreed. All right. Talk to um, me about Stoneforge Mystic Borderless from Double Masters. Yeah, I, this card, I don't know if you caught it, seemed pretty heavily represented across the challenges, the league. I saw a lot of Stoneforge Mystics everywhere I was looking. And there is no debate that the Double Masters Borderless copy is the best one. Now, obviously, a lot there's a lot of Double Masters cracked. I'm not debating that at all. But the numbers are certainly starting to turn here. Um, the I, I've got both the non-foil and the foil extended arts on the list here. Uh, the non, the, so Stoneforge Mystic is in like 11,000 EDH rec decks, which admittedly is a little less than I would have guessed, but that's still a pretty potent number of decks. Uh, the non-foil extended arts or the non-foil borderless, there's only 10 vendors for that card left. 10. That is not a lot. Uh, the lowest 55, I think it jumps up to like 60 or 65 very quickly, but with 10 vendors, like the, you know, the price is going to ramp up to infinite very quickly. Um, very popular in seemingly in this new modern and still has a solid EDH demand profile. So the non-foils at 55, I think you can get in anywhere, even probably up to 65 looking to shoot get out around 90 to 100. And then the foils are about 70 right now. So it's a pretty tight gap. There's about 30 vendors on there uh, on TCG right now with the foils. Um, and, you know, if you're trying to sell these to a, a large contingent of people getting into modern, returning to modern, what have you, you're going to have a little harder time selling the foils, I think, than the non-foils. So like, but obviously these are more appealing to EDH players. I think the foils are slightly worse of a pick at the current price points, but still a good choice overall because those foils can probably will become the, the, the premium version for quite some time, basically until they print a better Stoneforge or another version of Stoneforge Mystic that looks better, which seems like it's going to be hard to do because the art on these is great. So, it, you know, if you're getting on these foils at 70-ish, I think you could look to leave at like 120 maybe. Um, in that ballpark, but frankly, I could see holding these up to 150 or 160 as the like the best Stoneforge Mystic you can get. Just taking a look over in Europe, there's Probably. a few copies you can get under 60 for the foils, so a little cheaper than in the U.S. But considering shipping and time to market and whatever, it's pretty even. And it's interesting because Stoneforge Mystic was one of the cards that was getting cracked out of the VIP packs in the late summer, early fall, where it was relatively low, and then word spread that Japan Japanese buy lists were buying them up in droves, and that sent the price sky high for a little bit, Along, I think alongside Thoughtseize was the other one um, at the time out of the prayers, and then there was just the preponderance of VIP product that had been cracked simultaneously weighed on the market for a solid three or four months. Mm -hmm. But now here we are. These are basically a double up plus from their lows on the foils. The non-foils as well have already been strong producers. And I don't really feel like there's anywhere for these to go from here because there isn't some, despite the fact that people say, oh, they overprinted VIPs. There isn't some huge stop backstock of VIPs waiting to get cracked. There's they are they exist, but 
you know, the reason you saw so much of this was that people were cracking it up front, assuming they would have lottery tickets in them. And a year later, it very much looks like that was a reasonable decision. You might have felt <laughs> foolish two months out, but give this another six months or so and take a broader view of what came out of those packs. I think you're going to realize you're doing just fine. Yeah, and I I think that the non-foils are, you know, I have those on a shorter time frame, like you could, in three to six months, although reasonably it could be three to six days, given that there's only 10 vendors on TCG Player. The foils, you are definitely in for a longer ride here um, because of that that Double Masters volume that got cracked. And, and I know that, and, you know, that's fine because this isn't some, like, this isn't a no-name card, right, where you're, like, not sure if the popularity will hold up type of thing. This is, like, no, this is one of the biggest staples out of Double Masters, essentially, you know, crossing competitive and uh, EDH, so... It's a good it's a it's a good card if you're gonna go on a double masters it's a good one to work with well as i told the pro traders today in the discord you know we were posting fun 5-0 lists that looked cute and we were saying you know don't get too hung up on what any one list looks like look for the cards that are showing up in multiple archetypes and more to the point look at look for the cards that are proven contenders in multiple archetypes and multiple formats and Stoneforge fits all of, like ticks all those boxes. It's it's a legacy card, it has been forever. It's a modern card, it has been forever. Maybe now more so than ever. It's got even more tools to play with in modern. Um, it's you know they gave it uh, Kaldra and Nettling Cyst um, that have given it fresh life. So it's not just leaning on Batterskull and or a sword. And in EDH, it's a proven play pattern that's never going to go anywhere. It also just got a premium reprint within the year, so the odds of it getting another one within another year are pretty low. Not impossible, because we've seen them do it, but we don't, we're don't. we not aware of a product where this is likely to show up anytime soon. It's definitely not the kind of card they're likely to put back into standard, and because it was ridiculously busted the first time they did that. And it is the best art, and it is draining. So I can see the foils being easily $200 plus cards, and that gets more and more likely the more years you get out without them giving us a fresh premium. Yeah, I, I would agree that, you know, this is the, the biggest factor in the pricing here is going to be extra premium versions. Like, do they not go to this well for two years? Because then you will have $200 to Stoneforges. Do they do another one later this year or early next year? Well, that'll create some drag. It won't crush it, but it'll definitely add some some resistance so you know that's that's the dice you're gonna roll but you're gonna roll that for a lot of these cards i mean even just take a look at the vip packs on tcg player if you just look at the packs themselves there's only 33 listings and they start at 112 dollars a pack ramps pretty hard up into 120 to 130 which is where the majority of the inventory is and then they start going up to 150 200 to 250 like there are vendors sitting around on these things that clearly believe that if they give these another year or so they can get out on these at 200 a pack or something. And in a situation like that, where you don't see this huge glut of inventory, you can start retiring the narrative that it's overprinted and realize that whatever, however overprinted it seemed up front, the market absorbed it. We're past it. You're not going to see a, some huge stash of these stone forges show up other than from my inventory, because I'm pretty sure I've got at least 20 of these sitting around. Yeah, well, when I put it on the list and you, you're like, well, you sure we didn't pick this? And I had to double check. No, at least not officially. We probably talked about it once or twice. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this, this is a solid pick and the timing is, is prescient. 
Um, my next selection is Crashing Footfalls Foils on a zero to six month timeline. Uh, if any of the suspend cards uh, looks real, it's Footfalls. And that's funny because people didn't seem to believe in it when it came out in Modern Horizons 1. I, 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 I was definitely lower on it than you were when Modern Horizons 1 came out. And it's, and it's all about Shardless Agent, right? Shardless Agent activates this card because with As Told, you had to wait till basically turn three to get your as foretold and then maybe you could cast a footfalls um and at the time people i think you know we were in a more combo rific format hogak was running rampant that summer footfalls wasn't good enough to even like block a hogak a full hogak a lot of the time so it was a different scene we're in a different version of modern right now there's a lot of low slung prowess decks the the four four tramplers actually do some work and you can get 10 10 power into play off the shardless agent uh, lickety split. So footfall foils have already taken off hard. Like you could get them below ten dollars very recently. They've already doubled on the back of the hype cycle, but there aren't very many left around twenty. And a modern horizons foil is very different than a modern horizons two foil because the foil drop rates are significantly lower in modern horizons one than in any other product since. Uh, so. There aren't that many crashing footballs foils just lying around. These to, for these to go twenty to forty, all that needs to happen here is that some version of the footballs decks needs to exist at least at tier one point five, and you'll do just fine here. And I, I uh, shardless agent unlocked this card very hard. Um, I think that was a sig- significant component here, which is not surprising. Like everyone can figure that out, but uh, th- that definitely did the work. Um, and we even talked about this last week. The crashing footballs a little bit um i don't know if we talked about it in the context of shardless age we might have been talking about it as alternate choices for as foretold but i mean the price has moved already but i mean if you're looking at this on paper and you're going okay well the foils of this card are 20 bucks but like the modern horizons the supply is not that deep and this is looking pretty legitimate uh i mean 40 dollars doesn't seem too wild here I mean that could, that would that would put us in like a ten to one or a, yeah ten to one price r- r- ratio on non foils to foils, which is a little steep. But um, I mean we could see shardless agent footfalls become a, essentially a, a pillar or close to a pillar in the format. Honestly, so far you've seen non foil footfalls go from like a like a dollar or less, like basically bulk bin status, to four to five dollars, and they could easily end up ten to fifteen. If, if this deck stays on the radar. Yeah, if it keeps um, going like a so month or two down the road. If you wanted to focus on non-foils, that's fine. It's just a deeper inventory pool you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I my next card is Valakit, the Molten Pinnacle. Uh, the showcase version from Zendikar Reborn, Rising, uh, whatever, the third you, Zendikar. You, you mean Expedition version? Expedition, not showcase. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If it's from Zendikar Rising, you do, yeah. Zendikar Rising Expeditions, yes. I was thinking that was uh, considered a showcase, but I guess it is an expedition, isn't it? Uh, The foils and non-foils of this card are both $30. Like, non-foil is like $28, foil is $30. Pricing is very similar. Um, 40 vendors for the non-foils, 20 vendors for the foils. Uh, I mean, we're continuing to see it do very well in modern. Um, I don't think that that's going to change. It seems like it's got some new tools along with everybody else. 
Um, it's even got 10,000 decks in EDH. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have guessed it was that high. It's actually pretty popular in EDH. Um, so I think you can realistically go after the foils or the non-foils at 30 bucks and be pretty happy with it. Foils are probably a little bit better um, just because there's a lot fewer vendors, which means you're going to dry that inventory out a little faster. Um, and the, the ramp's a little steeper, but I don't think you're going to miss with either of them. I think these, you know, if you're buying in at 30, these expeditions might end up somewhere between like 50 and 70 for the non-foils and possibly over a hundred for the foils on uh, maybe a year plus timeline type of thing. So I was a little surprised when I found this, uh, but I think this is a, a very good price point for a very playable card. Yeah, I, I've been watching Expeditions and snapping off cheap copies overseas wherever I, I saw an opportunity and mostly focused on the Battle Bond lands um, that were printed there, but also looking at some of these utility lands. And as their stock has gotten lower and lower, same kind of arguments we were just making about VIP, you can start making again about the Zendikar Rising Expeditions and how quote-unquote overprinted the cb seemed to be where rumor was there was about 15 percent more printed of those collector booster boxes than there would normally be and yet here we have the expeditions which are the main feature of that product still creating gains there's a whole bunch of them that have gone up especially once people realized that there was only five enemy fetch lands to be found in Modern Horizons 2 and the allied fetch lands that showed up as expeditions last fall were not catching a reprint. So there's been lots of opportunity there again, despite this supposed overprinting and don't be surprised when this isn't the last land that makes you money out of those. Yeah, I think uh, you're on the money there. All right. What are, uh, what are we wrapping up with here for your pick? Esper Sentinel doubling down. 12 months to go from, I'm going to cheat here, it's low, <laughs> more air quotes, to 30 I think it's a $30 card. I don't know exactly what you're going to pay to get in on it. I can tell you that pre-orders are too high on it right now, so you're just playing a waiting game on this card. As a rare, you don't need to be in a rush to pick these up at pre-order pricing at all. You can wait and see who has them cheapest and when they have them cheap, and then make your move. So if there was any card I was going to say, you know, I don't know what the price is going to be, but it's worth calling out because I want this to be on people's watch list. Keep your eye on this opening weekend. Maybe you're going to see some hot deals on it next weekend, but maybe people are going to be real high on the card for multi-format play, in which case it could be one of the 20 30 40 $50 rares out of Modern Horizons 2, and the set can support some number of those. Um, the question is which ones. Like, I think Urza Saga is definitely on that list, I suspect Esper Sentinel is as well, but keep in mind you have everything in this set has to share EV with the Feshlands. So that's a thing. And that means that a lot of the stuff that's on pre-order at $20, $30, has to come down under 10 Has to. Everything cannot be expensive forever. That's just not how it works. So Esper Sentinel is one of the cards I know I want a brick of, and it's just a question now of watching for the low. So you think the non, just the straight pack yeah. version of Esper Sentinel is a $30 card? A potentially $30 card. Well, I, 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 I can't get on board with $30. I'm not saying it's impossible, right? I'm not saying it's impossible. I think that's not the most likely scenario, but 
I mean, if Esper Sentinel is, let me just, I'm just taking a peek here. The Esper Sentinel right now, oh, it is $30 right now. So. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it, it's going to be 30 at its lows. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, I mean, realistically to me, this settles between nine and 18, probably. Uh, as a, But I don't mean that as a low. I mean, like you might be able to get these below 10 and then sneak out at, you know between 15 and 20 but i could be wrong maybe this ends up being much more powerful i guess for me a big part of this is i'm still got a a significant amount of um, uncertainty regarding how it will play out in terms of power level i think i agree that it's a potent card i'm just not quite sure that it's going to work but we will see so so let's put it this way force of negation from modern horizons is a 70 dollar rare Urza Saga, if un, if it doesn't get banned, is the most likely card to hit that number. Um, the next most expensive rare is Prismatic Vista, I would guess, which is around $28. Yeah. And then yeah. you have and then you have some of the sack lands in the $15 to $20 range. I mean, if if Force of Negation is seventy, that doesn't make me feel good about thirty dollar Esper Sentinels, to be honest, because Force of Negation is very played. So that's a that's a lot to keep up with. Um, so here's the thing: the reason I'm not calling a buy price is that it might not be a thirty dollar card; it might be a twenty five or a twenty dollar card. But if that's true, it's because EV is being stolen from other things buy other things and that will just mean that it will get even lower so if my my before i had just low i had 15 so 15 to 30 i'm looking for a double up on this card to break it if it gets down to seven and that it flattens out at seven and stays there that will be my entry point and then i'm aiming for 14 if it never gets below 15 i'm aiming for 30 okay i mean i can see that i mean you're you're basically just waiting for it to bottom out, and then wherever it lands, you're just going to buy it and expect it to double up. Yeah. That's fine. I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate that. I, I, I can't argue it, with that. Here's the other thing. The only variant available of this particular card is not an extended art or foil extended art, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure it's just the sketch variant. You know how I feel oh. about those. So yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> there's more than one reason to target the regular copy here. Now, there are pack foils. Uh, and those are certainly, you know, probably not brickable because they may not get that cheap. But if they get pretty low, then I'll be looking at those as well because obviously those will hollow out even faster. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, wanna, okay. uh, real annoying sub point. You know how there's all those Modern Horizons cards that were reprinted in Old Border and Modern Horizons 2? Yes. Guess where TCG player just dumped those? Uh... They show up under Modern Horizons as though they were in the same set. (laughs) So if you go look up a Modern Horizons card and then click, you know how under the name of the card you click the set name to go go look at the full set? Yeah. If you click Modern Horizons, it now mixes cards from two different products that were two years apart. Oh, I mean, that is fixable. I don't know if they will, but Uh, it's such a disaster. I, I don't I understand mean, why TCG doesn't use a set and subset methodology where you have Modern Horizons 2 and then just create mains, just put the word, literally the words main set and then sketch cards 
Modern Horizon 1 reprints, etc. And they just put them in their own subsets and roll. Why if, on if earth I, would they try would they try to blend these two things together? If I had to take a guess, it would be because their system is very old and is not set up to handle that. Entirely possible. All right, so let's move move through to our final selection of the week. Mastodon, uh, Pro Trader, calls out Eternal Witness Ultimate Masters Box Topper, uh, sourced in the EU at around $45, looking to exit within six months or so near 80 Covered, the key with this is that not only is Eternal Witness a mega staple in EDH with tens of thousands of decks playing it, but this particular card is covered by CK credit at 46 cash, 60 credit. So there is basically no way to go wrong. Well, uh, I mean, you guys have heard me talk about these arbitrage plays before. There's not even really a lot for me to say here. You have a popular card that is clearly doing well, uh, will continue to do well. And if you're already making money by buying it at that price point, then I feel like I don't need to sell it to you. It works. All righty. Let's Enjoy. hop on over to segment four, our master set review of Modern Horizons 2. We'll be joined by... Uh, EDH Rec Commander-in-Chief Jason Alt, and let's go get Jason. Jason, are you with us? You know it. Oh yeah, Jason E. Alt, EDH Rec Commander-in-Chief, welcome back to the podcast. How's things over in sunny Michigan? Sunny? Uh, I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> I think people only like summer because when they were a kid they didn't have to go to school, but... Uh... Summer's terrible. <laughs> Adam Adam Barnello lives about two hours down the road from me. The uh, old hat legacy expert, turn cost player. And I commented, he was complaining about the heat the other day. And I told him that uh, spring and fall are your rewards for enduring summer and winter in upstate New York. Yeah, fair. And I imagine Michigan's probably not far off. We don't get the snow that upstate New York does. You would think we did, but... Sometimes, like the lake, it's called lake effect snow. Sometimes the lake intensifies storms coming in from the west and makes it really dump on us. But sometimes we get protected a little bit, like the storms peter out over the lake. Yeah. So I feel like you guys get more snow than we do. Well, it's, it's actually very regional over here. He's in Syracuse. I hope he's not angry at me for saying this. I'm also from Syracuse. Dox him it, more. What's that? Dox him more. What? You're, you're doxing him, so like... Oh, oh I see. <laughs> uh, I'm from and Syracuse And this originally. is his address and his cell phone number, yes. last I checked. Yep. Uh, and I grew up in Syracuse, and, you know, I was used to the snow, and I came to Buffalo for school and had only heard about how bad it was, and then I got here and found out that Syracuse had more snow running for, like, 22 years in a row or something. So it's very, you know, just from an hour or two down the road, it changes quite a bit. And I would imagine it's probably similar for, for you guys, depending on how close you are to the lake. Yeah, it's, uh, it, we get we get bad snow sometimes, but I don't mind that as much as, uh, it's just, it gets too hot. How can we have both? I don't understand. <laughs> hot, hot like Modern Horizons 2 during preview season? Woo! Hot like $100 Ragavans, baby. <laughs> mm, he's a pirate because he stole everyone's money out of their wallets. The, the card is doing more work than I expected. But $100. Same, and it, I expected it to do a lot of work. Really? Because uh, I have seen very little of it compared to what I was 
the 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 results in these modern challenges has not kept up with its price point that's for sure oh it's it's running all over legacy that's the that's yeah. what it's doing it, it's doing uh, a lot of work in legacy but i have seen it do work in modern on streams um whether it's going to show up in the challenges or not i i suspect we by next week we will have seen it top eight something the prowess decks like the blue red prowess decks and modern were already arguably tier one uh if not just behind uh titan uh or tron variants and Ragavan in that deck does a pr- pretty good job of building their, like, getting them to one additional mana on a turn where they might need it, while also incidentally, incidentally just letting them cast random things off the top of opponents' decks. Jason. So I hit, yeah. Read so. the second word in Monastery Swift Spears text box. Is the second word haste or prowess? So you say prowess as well. See, J- James always says prowess, and it doesn't hit my ear correctly. It's a, it's a like British. That's English a Canadian thing. pronunciation. Yeah, it's like a British pronunciation. You think mm-hmm. prowess? But then again, you're Michigan, so we both have that like Rust Belt Midwestern thing going on. We need somebody from California to chime in. They would be like, it's prowess, prowess. All right, prowess, bro. Has- EDH. All right, EDH for Modern Horizons two. Uh, overall, I think probably seems a little less impactful than what we saw out of Modern Horizons 1, at least at the outset, right? I mean, everyone talked about Modern Horizons 1 was Commander Masters, and I did not hear that that line of conversation uh, this time around. Well, there was people on Twitter that said it, they just didn't know what they were talking about. Well, there's always someone who will say any something. Make no mistake, there are some good EDH yeah. cards here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they are very specific, and that is going to be a problem for them financially. Mm. Sure. So, like for instance, squirrel decks are hot for as long as Chatterfang is a thing, and if Chatterfang falls off the radar, then squirrels go back in the squirrel box. Mm-hmm. What's, sure. what's your overall take on the on squirrels here? As a as a general archetype and Chatterfang specifically. I I am someone who likes making squirrels. I like squirrel nest and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I was never like, we need a dedicated squirrel commander. It's more like, I like going infinite with squirrel nest and, uh, and Earthcraft, or I like flashing deranged hermit. I was never like, what we really need is a squirrel deck that has black in its color identity and not white or blue or both. Um, Chatterfang is not what I wanted, but to the extent that like people have been waiting for a dedicated squirrel commander and they were doing stuff like browbeating their groups and letting them play Earl a squirrel or they were building a Morophon squirrel deck. Um, it's, it's what those people wanted, but also none of that stuff really translates outside the deck and that's just sort of like, okay... All these two dollar cards from Odyssey are seven now, but good luck finding a buyer. So, so do, you don't expect squirrels to hold a particularly significant popularity six months or nine months from now? I don't really expect any tribe that I didn't really remember. Everyone said they were waiting for a good clerics commander, and they finally got it in. Uh, in Zendikar, remember that? <laughs> this is yes, I do. Uh, I feel like you and I are destined to have the same conversation over and over and over again on this. Well, everyone's like, finally, with I don't even remember the name of it 
right? For, and it was it was Zendikar. It was that recently. I don't even remember the name. Oh, Everyone's like, we've been waiting for. We finally got the cleric commander, and then like a, a couple cards went up, like and then that? yeah, who knows? Doesn't matter because like everyone forgot about it two months later. I don't know if that'll happen with squirrels, but I think there's precedent. So probably pretty notable that on EDH Rack, you guys aren't showing any of the MH2 commanders and the top built commanders of the last week. And even amongst the, if you just filter down to the top commanders from MH2, so far we've got Chatterfang in first at 98 decks reported, then Lonus, Cryptozoologist, U3 Fortune's Flame is the coin flip commander at 57, Sithis Harvest Hand is the super busted Enchantress, and then Garth One-Eye at 35 decks. Jason, is it fair to say that out of these five, your pick for the one with the greatest longevity is probably Lonus? Yeah, and um, Lonus is the most likely to, in three months, have a better Civic Commander make it um, obsolete. <laughs> but Fair. like, I think Lonus, as good as every Simic Commander is, and I build every Simic Commander, like my Addix and Nev deck is like 90% complete, and then I gotta go buy another Breeding Pool, you know? <laughs> sure. I ordered like 15 Breeding Pools and ran out. Like, it's just nuts. <laughs> but I think Lonus does something that's like you know kind of unique it, it it lets you mess with a different kind of counter it lets you, you you take stuff out of their deck and play it uh i would like to say lonus gets there long term chatterfang seems memey yes fortune's uh flipper seems memey um garth seems kind of memey uh they give us a garth and a karth you can't did you really have to <laughs> and like i realized there's a reason like karth was a person you know carthalian carthalian and Garth was a character from Arena, which is a book that rules. That's my pick of the week. Go find a copy of Arena. Uh, <laughs> there's a Garth and Karth in the same set. That's yeah, just stupid. Silly. <laughs> uh, like, Ave Progenitor Ooze is a meme deck. Uh, Prison Cool and Incident Chusol, or whatever that commander's called, is a meme. So, what? what were those words? Oh, Prison Cool and Incident Chusol is an Italian song from the uh, 70s making fun of how all American music sounds. It's okay. actually pretty funny. But, like, whatever the, the cookbook deck is, um, oh. <laughs> the, uh, it, it all seems like memes to me. Like, are you going to build as a Bez, the Glimmer Wasp deck? Or are you just going to be like, I got some decent stuff for my decks? I think the one of the problems with this set is all the stuff that is best in EDH is also good in Modern. You're not seeing, like, very EDH-specific stuff at the top 100. Like, the number one card right now is uh, is Ignible Hierarch. Which is, you know, not very EDH specific. Esper Sentinel, Urza Saga, Ragavan, Voidwalker, Dam, Yavimaya, Rustfield Bridge. You know, these are the cards that are at the the top of EDH rec in terms of playability, and not stuff that you would expect that was more EDH specific, maybe like Suspend or Rise and Shine or sort of uh, Hearth and Home. You're seeing the stuff that also overlaps with modern, which is good for those cards' prices, but like it's bad for the notion that maybe this is like a real juiced EDH set. So a final point on Lonus. Uh, it's a 1-2 for a green and a blue. Whenever non another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. Tap, sack, X clues, target opponent reveals top X cards of your library. You may put a non-land permanent card with mana value X or less among them onto the battlefield under your control. That player puts the rest on the bottom random order. So basically you just want to have a whole bunch of clue tokens and then you're casting random spells for free. The thing about that yeah. is 
we we have double Innistrad sets coming out up in the fall, and they could easily revisit Investigate and give Lonus a bunch of tools to fool around with. Yeah, and Lonus also goes. It could go in the ninety nine if there's a better clue commander that has those colors. But, sure. I mean, as someone who's going to build every Simic deck, uh, I'm really excited about Lonus. So let's get back to the cards that are doing the best in the set, uh, putting the commanders aside until we have some more data on them. You said Ignoble Hierarch was the highest percentage inclusion at 42% yeah. in Jund colors. It's um, in weird colors, but also, like, it does a lot of work in those colors. It, you know, it's a great mana dork. Yep. But the most, the actual most represented card on the site so far is Urza Saga. Uh, 14% inclusion, but because it's colorless, of course, it can go almost anywhere. 500 decks reporting this card so far, and I'm willing to bet mm-hmm. that this is a EDH super stable, right? Like, this this thing searches up so much stuff and combos with so many cards. Yeah, plus it's plus there are multiple ways for it to be tutored for also. Yeah. It's an enchantment and a land, which makes it a great tutor target. So I... I, I, I go ahead, Travis. I, uh... Yeah, I don't know. I want to say that, like, it won't be a superstar because how many decks really care to go search for a zero or a one? And there's no shortage of that type of effect. But, I mean, I suppose, ugh, I suppose that it's so easy to get. And then it will, at the worst, it goes and gets your soul ring and it might go get something else useful. And I hate, I don't like the card in EDH. I don't like the play pattern, but I, I think people will play it. I think that's probably correct. And I just don't, I don't want to say that, but it's true. It's Every all... time I say I don't like a card, it gets played a lot more. So I just, I've stopped saying stuff like that. <laughs> well, and the crazy thing is like, you can bring it back with Crucible of Worlds. You can bring it back with things that bring back enchantments because it's an enchantment land. And your your fail case here is it goes gets a soul ring, a mana crypt, a mana vault, etc. So, and then for decks, you know, say you've got a, a food deck or a sacrifice deck in EDH, you're going to go get your Witch's Oven or you're going to go get your Underworld Cookbook or whatever. And the open-ended synergy on this card is infinite because they're just going to keep printing shit like that that this works with. And it's just too good. Like, it's, I said before you came on, Jason, that I think this might be the force of negation of the set. If it doesn't get banned in Modern... It's going to be so ubiquitous that it's probably the best candidate to hit $50, $60, might be the only card worth pre-ordering in the whole set. Hmm. You say that. A little late for that now, right? Well, there's... there's, there's <laughs> yeah. If you look at the list of cards we got sent like six days ago for the first single sale for the Pro Traders, there was a lot of juicy targets. Asmo was originally on that list at $1.60 currently pre-ordering near 30 okay can i can we still get it at a dollar 30 i would like <laughs> to do that yeah i tried to make that argument it didn't go so well the uh, um so what card are you referring to a- asmo kirkadink oh yeah uh from the food decks uh the three three that comes into play for free uh if you discarded it's like six sorry not for free for red or a black if you discarded a card uh so Esper Sentinel was actually the second most represented, um, and that was the card that I put on my cards to watch. I did. I said that I didn't know what the low was going to be, Jason, but I think that this thing is going to do a ton of work in multiple formats. Legacy, Vintage, Cube, uh, and Modern, probably. 27% inclusion so far, 471 decks reported. How are you feeling about this one? 
I I like it. I I have learned to fight my evaluation of cards a little bit less over the years. You know, um, uh, I tend to just kind of let people build what they're building because really. At a time like this, the, the the prices are influenced by pe- what by what people think they're going to play, and not what they end up playing long term. So in the short term, it doesn't really matter what I think, and I just make all my decisions based on data. So that said, I do actually kind of like this card a little bit. Probably fair to say too that it features prominently in the uh, command zone uh, post Malone episode that's coming out this week. Uh, by the time this this episode is released, that will no longer be secret knowledge. Um, Seem to do a pretty decent Ristic Study impression in that game. It, I guess, it's probably the type of card that, like, it's not, it's not like sexy. You're not excited to play it. Like, you, you, no one's ever jazzed to put Ristic Study in their deck. It's just, mm-hmm. it's effective and it works, and people just buy it and they play it, but they don't like post about it. I guess, and I wonder if that's going to be what happens with Esper Sentinels. It's just, yeah, if you're in white and like you have room, you put this in because it's going to draw you a shit ton of cards for one mana. And it is what it is, right? Which is fine. The unsexy white cards have been where the money's at for white in EDH for years, so that's fine by me. Anointed processions, smothering tides, etc. Yeah, I say those are all the same thing as far as I'm concerned. All right, so then you have Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer, who's doing work in Modern, doing work in Legacy, and probably is a cube card, and is in 378 decks on EDH Rex so far, 20% of all red decks running it. If the card is going to be multi-format like that, then it is the the top contender to hold top mythic in the set and the highest price point and could be the Renin 6 of the set. I mean, really, what mythic in the set? Grief, maybe? In terms of EDH, like, yeah, I think it's probably the best EDH uh, mythic in the set. Mythics really aren't that popular in EDH right now. Like Dakon's top t- Dakon, 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 the Radish <laughs> Master. He's top twenty. Dakon, Dakon Blackblade. You like Dakons? I like gonna... Caravans more. Uh, Solitude's top thirty. I don't know. Nobody really cares about the Mythics. Uh, sort of There's... Hearth and Home. I think is underrepresented right now. I think it'll get represented more later. But I thought that about Sword of Sinew and Steel. So what the hell do I there... know about EDH? There's a joke in there of, with uh, Deck and Blackblade about John Romero making you his bitch. Okay. From uh, Daikatana. No. Yeah. You guys are definitely old enough to know this. <laughs> you don't remember that, James? Right. I feel like this would have been like right. directly in your wheelhouse. Right over my head. Uh, Daikatana was a game that John Romero put out after Quake and like the it was like mid late 90s so the marketing was like really edgy and aggressive and they put out like full page ads in magazines that said John Romero is going to make you his bitch yeah and really ga- like not only was the Rough. advertising unbelievably cringy the game was atrocious. the game was bad wow. that was back when they were making games like oh this is called murder death kill yeah yeah uh, so here's the thing. A lot of the evoke creatures that are really good in modern are going to be a lot less so in EDH just on from the function that they tend to be one for one point removal or two for one point removal that isn't necessarily what you want to be doing. So that leaves some room for some of these rares to get higher than they would otherwise. Because if that if that mythic evoke cycle had been extra great in EDH, then it would suck up a lot of EV. 
I, yeah, I don't. It's it's interesting. It, I I wouldn't have predicted the the cards would pan out like this, and I haven't reordered the. I guess I'd have to do that manually. I haven't reordered it to to sort by inclusion. It's sorted by percentage right now, but I I still didn't really expect it to pan out like it has. Mm-hmm. I expected some things to be a lot lower and some things to be a lot higher. So I don't. Every time I was like, that could change, and then it never does. Like, I'm looking at Strixhaven, and it's, like, just as confusing as it was day one, and everything's in mostly the same order. So, I guess this is basically the order, which is crazy. Um, Some of the stuff in this set that, like, would be really good at rare is uncommon for no reason. So, there's, like, no money to be made. Why is Tireless Provisioner, A, in the set? Be uncommon. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, stuff like that. Were people though, complaining that Lotus Cobra sucked, or were people complaining that Lotus Cobra was busted? <laughs> like, I think it's pretty unfair, but let's make it better. Why not? True, but that that means the MH two common uncommon bulk is going to be extra juicy. Down yes. The road. Yeah. The, There's a ton of good bulk. There's the cycle of artifact lands. Yeah. That's that's all like top forty. Like all of them are top forty in the set so far. You get stuff like Chatterstorm and other squirrel stuff. Yeah, this bulk is going to be nasty. So fourth on this list is a card I think is going to end up in the top three for sure, if not number one. Um, because it could easily be as ubiquitous as Urza Saga, even in EDH. You have a Maya Cradle of Growth is basically just a green Urborg, and Urborg's in 63,000 decks. So I'm going to go ahead and go way out on a limb here and say that this card's going to see some play. We need a green Cabal Coffers next. <laughs> I mean, we have that. His name's Rofalos, and he's banned as hell. So give give it give it uh, two sets, and you will probably get it. Well, there's there's <laughs> a bunch of other stuff too, right? Because you can use Nisa to double the production from your forests. Oh yeah, there's all kind of there's all kind of ways. This is this is going to do some work for sure. Then we got Ignoble Hierarch, which of course has the highest inclusion rate at about 269. Dothy Voidwalker is a nice fits in anywhere you're playing black kind of card just because of how silly busted it is for those that don't remember it's a 3-2 shadow for two black if a card would be put into opponent's graveyard from anywhere instead exile it with a void counter on it so you've just you're you're basically hosing three graveyards on an ongoing basis with this card and then tap sack it choose an exiled card anyone any exiled card that could be from 40 cards uh choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it you may play it this turn without paying its mana costs as someone who's been getting laughed at for saying that it's worth putting snow-covered lands in your deck just to play Draugr Necromancer, seeing functionally an identical card, <laughs> except instead of paying mana, you sacrifice it and can only use it once, uh, I don't know. I don't feel vindicated because no one's going back and being like, oh yeah, this is Draugr Necromancer, but yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like Necromancer I like Necromancer rules. too, and I love this card, and I see this card at two mana, this can be recycled in EDH pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Put an oversold cemetery into play and just bring this back over and over again. Plus, it's a 3-2 unblockable. Yeah. So that rolls, too. Yeah, because it's going to... Yeah. Extremely relevant in EDH. So, well, I mean, getting getting that damage in there with a sword on it or something is just going to be nasty. Put put yeah. anything on it that gets it gives it hexproof and, and haste and go to town. Ooh, the, give it a 10-10 hammer. Sure. Quite a spike. Yeah. Nobody wants to run quite a spike. Everyone wants to make their creature 50-50. Nobody wants to take half of their opponent's life. Yeah, spikes half life, yeah. So finishing that's, that's off this co- list. commander damage, I'm sure. We've got Sanctum Weaver, which is <laughs> uh, basically 
uh, Sarah's Sanctum on a stick. So that seems like it's going to be pretty good in the enchantment decks forever. Uh, but like also just super specific. Yeah. That's what I was saying about this set. Like there's some cards that are like staples for like three decks. Sure. That's S- weird. Sithis Harvest Hand goes in that deck too. And same kind of thing, right? Oh yeah. Sword of Hearth and Home, you mentioned earlier, it's only 3% inclusion, but does have 124 decks uh, reported. And then Dam, arguably either the best or second best sweeper of all time, 11% inclusion rate in black-white decks, uh, 117 total. I I, I see over the long haul, the the premium versions of this are going to be worth money because it's basically as good a Supreme Verdict in a different set of colors. Yeah, Dam is unreal. So, so good. Like, people are people are playing, like, terror effects. That Granted, they're at instant speed, but they're also, like... People are playing, like, go for the throat in ADH and being like, well, I can't kill any of my opponent's creatures with this. Dame just kills whatever. Yeah. And then... Uh, I mean, it's just, go ahead, Travis. It's just Wrath of God with a... a, a with a point removal. single option. target version if kicker, you need yeah. to. Yeah. It's just, like, it's straight up just Wrath of God, essentially. So, in terms of, like, uncommons and commons that are on my watch... Jason mentioned Tireless Provisioner. That's certainly uh, on there. There's, as you said, the Artifact the, the Lands. That's pretty right? good. Yeah. The, yeah, the the one that eternalizes, so you get to do it twice. Um, goblin and Narcomancer. Red and a green for 2-2 two, two, that each red or green spell you cost costs one less to cast. That's going to see play. Um, you've got Tavern Scoundrel. That's going into every flip deck forever. Liquid uh, Metal Torque rules. Yep. It's another copy of Liquid Metal Coating, which I think trying to build around Liquid Metal Coating and not having like a reliable way to get it kind of sucked. But now that you have two copies and one of them is never dead because it's a mana rock, I think that rules. Strike It Rich is going to get played and t- like the tri token strategies that they seem to be building towards. Um, Academy Manufacturer is a rare, but it's going to get real cheap, I would imagine, in the in in the face of all this other EV suck in the set. And whenever yeah. Manufacturer hits the bottom, you definitely buy some of those. Uh, the Dragon's Rage Channeler is doing work in both Legacy and Modern, and it's an uncommon, not a rare. That seems... Yeah, I think people were, like, fighting on Twitter for about five minutes. So, like, is this going to get played in the decks, or was Ragavan, and then they solved the problem by running them both? <laughs> I, I also think, like, Out of Time was under a dollar in the inventory offer we got, and something just seems wrong about this. Have people not realized that an EDH Out of Time is the cheapest Wrath we've ever got? If, if you guys have 30 creatures on the table, then I cast Wrath for three mana... And they phase out for 30 turns. Seems good. But but, but people can interact with out of time. But yeah, that's largely correct. (laughs) Like, yeah, they can kill it. They can kill it with enchantment kill, but then all their opponents creatures come back. So there's a serious rattlesnake effect there because you, they might get the other half of the combo they were looking for in the interim and then putting the other stuff back in play instantly loses you the game. So you are warned off of that process. Yeah, and you can't kill me because, you know, the guy who's going to kill you gets his creatures back, so you have to make sure I <laughs> yeah. still have to. There's some good it, politics around this card, too, yeah. It, it, at least I, I, that might be part of the reason why the uptake has been a little slow is just it's not um, quite as clear-cut as you might want it to be. You're going to look at this and go, wow, this is a really cheap wrath, but and then be like, well, there are all these corner cases where this could just bite me in the ass. 
So maybe I just play this other card that I know is a little more reliable for the time being. You can also get real cute with this card, too, because you can, like, it, because they phase, tokens don't go away. So if you want to, you could just, you could make, take a bunch of your stuff that's already in play and make it safe. Because there are ways of bringing enchantments back into play at instant speed. You could put an out of time into play to basically phase your stuff out and then sack the out of time to bring the stuff back when you want it later. Like there's there's a there's a lot of play lines of play around out of time that I don't think people are fully grasping. You've got Foundation Breaker, the evoke creature that destroys artifacts or enchantments for two. That's gonna show up in commander decks, I would imagine. Uh, I mean, like pre-cons. It's the kind of thing they'll just throw in there since it's a throat giveaway. Um, Resurgent Belief is going to get real cheap because no one's talking about that, and that's basically Replenish. That's People made like noise about it for five minutes the day it was previewed, and now it's just faded into the background. And there's going to be cards yeah. like that like all over the place in this set. Liquid Metal. I like some of the goofier stuff that's, you know... A little bit more fun than just here's upgraded versions of cards you already play. Like Chef's Kiss rules. I, I'm glad they they did a card like that. Sure, Liquid Metal Torque. That's the two yeah. two mana uh, mana rock that can also turn a non land permanent into an artifact in addition to its other types. That's... So you can steal it with Aladdin. Who any day now they're going to say, all right, Aladdin's legendary. We got all Jason's tweets and we're sick of hearing about it. So <laughs> Aladdin's legendary. He can be your commander. And then Liquid Metal Torque. Uh, Underworld. A real player. Overnight. Underworld Cookbook as an uncommon. Violent Tumor yeah. as an uncommon. Death Touch 2, Double Black 2-2. Two, two. Whenever it enters the battlefield, switch your library for a card. Put it into your graveyard. Uh, Gaia's Will doesn't seem like it's seen any play in this format so far. So that's probably going to get real cheap and then someone's going to break it later. I'd like to think so. It's just, yeah. The Gaia's Will in EDH is kind of icky. Like what? What deck are you playing, man? If you're trying to do that. Well, I mean, you get to play play lands and cast spells from your graveyard. People are going to get tempted into that pretty easily. I'm no, I'm not saying it's not good, but just like, what do you? It, it, it because it, it it leans so hard toward like a, a stormy a style kind deck, of thing? right? Sure. Yeah, like this is the suspend four just is so awkward. Bad late game draw, but I have no problems putting it on this on the stack on turns five through 10. I presume your goal would be to cheat it somehow, whether you're running as foretold or whatever else you got going on. I mean, it seems like a way to go for sure. And there's a bunch of different ways you can cheat it, but even like just casting it naked and waiting for turns doesn't seem that crazy to me in mid powered games because that turn you just have, all the options you can just do all whatever things you need to do even if it's not combo you can just get back the three permanents that matter the most to you or cast the necessary spells or wipe the board or whatever yeah i mean also if you do it that way if you know that you're only ever going to do it a quote-unquote the fair way you don't have to feel as bad because you're like okay well i'm giving people four turns to know what's coming essentially even like the, um, even like some of these limited cards like com combine chrysalis green and a blue artifact creature tokens you control have flying and then for four, you sack a token, create a four-four green beast creature token. That seems pretty rad. Seems totally fine, and the like. It's relatively unique. Like, there's obviously there's lots of ways to make tokens, but this is like sacks clues, treasures, and 
and uh, whatever the third token I'm forgetting is to make four four flyers, which <laughs> seems it's totally fine. Food clues food. and treasures. Yeah, food clues and treasures. So yeah, I, I see lots of value here. Just quickly, let's take a look at which of these overlap in modern. I think we've talked about a lot of this stuff already along the way, but Urza Saga, absolutely everywhere in modern right now. Shardless Agent being tested in a bunch of different shells. All five of the evoke creatures, uh, Grief, Solitude, Endurance, Subtlety, and whatever the red one is. Um, whatever the... It's Fury, and it <laughs> Fury. already exists as the card... Pyrokinesis. Uh, yeah, pyrokinesis. Yeah, and it was interesting that there was a Star City Games article by the pros there, and they couldn't agree on which order to put those five in. Everybody had a different answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bet they agreed on what place red was in. No, no, a couple of them had red in second um, because they said, <laughs> really? be, yeah, because it can the four damage can deal with specific threats in the format efficiently. Like it's it's the it? it's one of the only it's the only one that potentially can cost your opponent more cards than it costs you to evoke was it patrick sullivan who was taking that position i don't remember which one it was but it wasn't sullivan the it wasn't even a red player i don't think but the point the point they were making was that that plus a red spell could kill three things or could uh, you know somebody goes lingering souls flashback lingering souls you could clear all of them away for two cards which sometimes yeah. is i mean I mean, the, the play pattern on that could definitely be pretty gross in the best cases. I mean, against, you know, like the prowess decks, you know, if they have three monastery spears or, you know, some version thereof, it's, it does a lot of work, but it certainly uh, feels like it's a little easier to not do as much as you need it to as well. I've probably seen the most overall on stream of subtlety, but I've been least impressed by it. So far, grief in the ephemerate decks if they can pull that together in a way that actually matters and isn't just permanently tier 2.5 um seems good and i i suspect that what's going to happen is black white will eventually just have one or two more cards that just make that deck fantastic where there's just like some specific interaction where they can bring stuff back from exile or something and that will fully activate the the archetype zabaz in the affinity decks doing lots of work i think that's probably going to post up as a permanent though limited to that archetype card um thought monitor in the other version of the affinity decks um that are not about modular but about just having tons of artifacts in play scion of draco was doing tons of work on stream this weekend as a 4-4 with upside abilities that can come into play as early as turn two Vin i'm really disappointed that you can't get scion uh down to zero <laughs> that you're stuck at too. That feels Cause, like because because uh, wastes are not a type. Yeah, are not type. That's obnoxious. I that's I feel like they let us down on that one. Well, Plus Draco, we were promised could be purple free. mana in 1996, and they still have not delivered. Where yeah, where's my berries land? Come on, this is uh, unfair. Un unfortunately, when you play Tra Draco alongside Sign of Draco alongside the Crashing Footfalls uh, Rhinos, it doesn't help you because they already have Trample. But you can have it gives your subtleties hexproof, which is pretty nice on a three-two flyer. Um, Vindicate saw doing plenty of work, but I don't know. Again, don't know if the black-white decks are going to be are going to ultimately be tier one. Asmo in the food deck seems like a lock. Like as long as the food deck exists, that card's going to get played. So it could probably be one of the ten to twenty dollar rares. Dothy Voidwalker, we just talked about how good it is in EDH. I don't know. 
again, whether the black-white decks will have a home, but Voidwalker is so pushed, like probably text on card, the most pushed of any of the rares I see here, other than Saga. Um, Yavmaya Cradled Growth is already everywhere and doesn't really need more than EDH to do work and gain value, but it's again played in Amulet Titan decks as a one-of at minimum and will show up in a bunch of other places. And then, of course, Ragavan is, is going wild, so... That would be my guess at the cards that are going to matter the most in this format. Cradle? Yeah, my Cradle of Growth feels seems like it could end up a pretty gross price uh, at the moment. Right? Like, I mean, the low is 40, 38 right now. And I mean, that's going to slip. But like, isn't every single green deck that's not monocolor going to want to play one of these? A lot of them will. For sure. Let me just see what the the offer we got on that was. Yevamaya Cradle of Growth, twelve dollars or so. In the group buy. <laughs> really? Yep. I think everybody's so gun shy about not missing something that seems obvious, but you're like, I know this is good, but I didn't expect it to do what it did. Like the the fact that cards like the Great Henge can cost what they cost this soon after being printed, I think, is making a lot of people make some weird pre-ordering decisions i don't think anyone wants to see a card like yavamaya which could be like the next smothering tie where everyone's like yeah you know it seemed good and four bucks seemed fine for it but i figured it would be 10 in a year and i could wait and then it was 50 in a year uh i don't really know the the biggest uh, if you have if we have to worry about yavamaya galloping toward 100 bucks you know when we're like i should have pre-ordered because it's a rare i can't see it happening at least for the regular copy but the foil borderless and old border foils are going to be mucho dinero three years from now can we even compare anything to smothering tithe because smothering tithe was uh in a set where there was one version of smothering tithe and yevamaya cradle growth will have the printed in north america the text block isn't foil (laughs) but the rest of the cards foil version the yeah the 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 japanese one which will have a whole different variant i'm sure so we live in hell. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. <laughs> it's going to be hard to sell these cards to people, and it's going to be hard to get the thing that you wanted actually sent to you. Well, the, the TCG the, player doesn't differentiate on this crap, right? Yeah, like they are not going to differentiate between collector booster foils and set booster foils. And did, did we say not. this out loud in the cast already? No, yet? we didn't. If you so the old border foil fetches, and I guess I would assume rares. all old border fo- no, is it it's, rares yeah, only? Yeah, it's rares only. <laughs> oh my god! Because they're on a different sheet, different slot. The old border foil rares that come out of col- the I'm sorry, set boosters. Set boosters. No, no, yeah. but it's it's the etched ones, isn't it? No, it's no, it's no, no. It's old it border all foils, old border old foil rares from U.S. produced set boxes. <laughs> Are, are different are different and basically the way that they're different is that they are the most alike to original old border foils where the yeah. the border and text box are foiled much more so than the uh the art whereas which is what people wanted so that means which is how the original old border foils were done where the art was not foil and the text box was not foil. and it seems like it was a mistake right like, I, I don't think Wizards intended that. I think it was a printing press uh, limitation or something based on some kind of timeline would be my guess. Like, in the in the factory, they were like, we've got to put these sheets through that machine over there. 
and that one can't do the full foiling or uh, or vice versa. And so this is how it's turned out. But we don't have reports in yet from Europe and Japan as to whether they've encountered the same thing. We do have Australian vendors in our Discord that were going to be cracking product today, and they were going to report back as to what they saw because their product comes from Asia. And it's going to be just lunacy when Harayuya gets a hold of this because they love to exploit the variants. And if it turns out that U.S. set booster box uh, old border foil scarlding tarn is the only way to get the absolute best version of that card, then watch out for what those go for. And sure, glad I ordered collector boosters. I'm really sick of getting punished for buying collector boosters. I mean, the the funny thing about it is, like, I don't actually think, from personal perspective, it matters all that much because the the drop rates are so low in the set booster boxes that, in much the same way that the quote unquote better version of the foil time warps came out of Japanese set booster boxes for Strixhaven, but didn't really impact the market other than to drag up the time warps from the collector booster boxes, it's entirely possible that the same kind of thing will happen here. And I don't think that in hand and especially in sleeve players are going to give a shit. Like I think the purists that were looking for the perfect old border foil will certainly prefer these versions knowing that they exist, but the average player is still going to open their CB and be like, Holy shit, that's a really nice Misty I just got. And and they're going to say that whether it's extended art, foil, extended art, old border foil, uh, old border uh, set foil or uh, old border uh, etched foil and they won't even know the names of them they're just going to know they got a cool fetch and they're going to be fine with it the, but what's weird about this though is that these aren't just like a showcase or an expedition frame that has a weird setup it's the card frame designed for the long term enfranchised player who cares about this crap so it is like the card variant aimed at the player base most likely to care about that. Because how many people are out there buying the foil old border versions that wouldn't care? It doesn't matter for the random guy who opens, who goes and drafts this with his buddies and opens one, but it ra- matters for the people on TCG player who are trying to buy it. Well, it's certainly going to matter for vendors because it's going to be a complete clusterfuck nightmare of people buying uh, buying versions of these cards and they're going to have so it was already too confusing and then claiming that they bought the wrong one or they want to return it or their card is fake and the nightmares i just i have my heart goes out <laughs> it's going to be oh crazy. my god the 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 etched foil that you can only tell by the three dots at the top of the cards on the strixhaven <laughs> yeah like I was processing a bunch of the Mystical Archive Japanese set and CB foils for a big buy list we're sending over to Japan. We're sending over like $6,000 worth of cards for some of the pro traders so they can they can take advantage of a Japanese buy list. Here's the problem. The time warps that come out of the CBs, the foils, uh, often have a little mark in the top right corner. It was clearly a printing press thing, but they don't all have it. If they all had it, you could just say that that's what the art for that card looks like. If they don't all have it, then you can argue that the ones that do have the mark are damaged. So how are those going to be received by a buy list buyer? I have no idea. <laughs> People are going to like send their cards in and they're going to get buy listed. And, you know, they're, they're going to get the values back on what they send in. And they're just going to be like, can, can you have the other guy do it? 
like just because his knowledge of of what is in this set and how these cards are valued is it might be different than the first guy and <laughs> yeah. i just want to try again can i get the best can i re can i get please? make my i want my buy list to be lucky you know, roll playlist. it twice and give yeah. me the better result playlist <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's gonna be pretty wild and yeah but by the time all of this lands, I'm sure there will be additional variants that are understood to exist. Now, it is worth pointing out that with the Masterpiece Invention series, there was also two versions that were never officially acknowledged by wizards or by vendors or by platforms. Because the European ones basically didn't have foiled art and the US ones seemed to be largely fully glossed. And I definitely had some people that bought them from me along the way that thought theirs were fake and required instruction and that all worked out fine but i'm very curious to see whether enough noise will be made about this topic on social media to force wizards to respond the vendor in our in our discord that first reported it and and posted videos apparently got calls from wizards two hours later so oh, they, really so they are definitely aware do you think did he say what the content of those calls was I'm, no he didn't but i'm sure it was along the lines of what the fuck send us evidence and documentation i well i'm wondering if it's please stop posting this on social media or if it's we're sorry about the mistake we want to fix it or it's like this is the first we've heard of this because we have 45 different companies all printing the cards at once to get demand met what people what people need to understand is that there is no printing press expertise at hasbro slash watsy any more than there is video game expertise Even if there are people on team whose job it is to know these things and to interface with their third-party supplier that handles the manufacturing, that person might have knowledge. But it's not a broadly distributed pool of knowledge throughout their entire team. There's, There's definitely somebody whose job it is to oversee the production process. But all of the QA and everything else happens on Cardamundi's floor in Dallas or whatever for these things. And... So you can lay it at Watsi's feet in terms of incompetence, but really it's a quality control issue with the third-party supplier. In, the, in, in much the same way that the e-commerce systems that they've partnered with along the way have often failed, and the uh, warehousing and shipping companies that Hasbro has used along the way have often failed. I used to get San Diego Comic-Con toys from Hasbro that were just like, thro- like there were $300 collector items that were just thrown into boxes and were bouncing around all the way to my house. Um, this is not the first time that they have tripped over their third-party relationships. And the pandemic has made all that stuff worse because a lot of times they had to improvise, you know, and make up new stuff for shipping that couldn't happen and distribution that couldn't happen. It's it, And it's going to be, after things open up after the pandemic, we're still going to have the legacy of, like, those last few sets that got made under those conditions. Yep. So if you look at something like Jumpstart, that was... <laughs> A real nightmare because of the pandemic, and fortunately, everybody forgot Jumpstart's a set already because that was fourteen sets ago. Hopefully, the quality control here will improve as we get further away from COVID. Because I don't remember quality control being a particularly important issue for Wizards prior to the introduction of these mega premium versions. Like, I don't remember talking about this back in Zendikar. Like, it's not to say that it never happened, but it certainly wasn't the topic of conversation like it is today. A, because the pro- the price point, there wasn't a premium price point that 
that naturally comes with an expectation of a higher quality product and B because the entire printing process was much simpler. Like back when everything yeah. was either was just not foil, like Urza Saga era, it was real pretty straightforward, right? And right. and they yeah. and they still had fuck ups. Like we had fuck ups all the way back to in the first 2 years of the game. That's why we have, you know, bl- uh, blue hurricanes and whatever lingering in the market and making people money. So I'm not surprised. Anytime you go to press, you're going to have something that's wrong. The question is, how often does it happen and how does it affect the trust factor and willingness to spend in your marketplace? The The funny thing about Magic players, though, is they're going to bitch about this. But if it turns out that their set booster boxes are have higher EV than they thought they would because there's an even better version of the fetches, that's not necessarily a a, a minus. And, and for the people that were like, oh, but I bought CBs, not set boosters... As I said, I'm pretty sure you're going to be fine. The, Is that your impression of me? No. I'm, there's other people that were bitching long before you in the Discord. <laughs> the, uh, the, the CBs have ridiculous value. The issue isn't going to be what's in those boxes. It's just what you paid for what's in those boxes. Like, if you got in on one of our group buys, you're in the best, or, or got a really cheap Amazon price, you're about as good as you can be. If you went out and paid $4.99 for CBs, then you were in trouble no matter what was in them. But given that they they cough up like two to four fetches per box, you'll be just fine. All right, gentlemen. It is 11.48. So thumbs up, thumbs down on Modern Horizons 2. As an EDH set, it's uh, pretty middling. As a set set, uh, I kind of like it. Yep, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I find that... It's a little less uh, blatant than Modern Horizons 1 was, and clearly it's much less about the commanders than we've spent all of 2020 being used to, given that it was a year of commander, Um, which I guess I feel like we don't really talk about too much. Like last year was the year of commander, so it's not surprising that we spent a whole year talking a lot about the legendary creatures that got printed in product, and now that we're past that, like that dial might get turned down and people aren't expecting that. Um. The only two people I want to fire at Watsi on the basis of this set is the person in charge of product formulation and the person in charge of names. They both need to go. (laughs) But not quality control? Quality control, again, is not a Watsi issue. It's a third-party issue. But they... And the the real problem there... Still has their name coming out the door. True, but the problem is there's nobody better to go to. Like, if you're in the printing industry, you know that Carta Mundi is basically where it's at. So there's no better printing press that can operate at the level that they need to operate at that isn't potentially tremendously more expensive. Like I'm sure there's some mid tier press that could be employed if you invested a tremendous amount of resources into scaling them up and they would promise a higher, uh, a higher tier result in terms of QA. But Watsi slash Hasbro has never shown any indication of wanting to spend more on things hence why we don't have pros anymore yeah okay uh okay 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 okay. james where can our listeners find you folks you can find me uh on twitter at mdg critic as well as via my occasional articles at mgdprice.com and i am constantly haunting the pro trader discord how about you travis uh, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, Jason, where can our listeners find you? 
Jason E. Alt on Twitter, and I have a brand new link tree. I did it. I put all the links in a link tree, so you can check the tree and get the links. Uh, I also bum around the Pro Trader Discord, because because uh, I should do that as a writer for MTGPrice.com, your source for MTGs and prices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is a link tree any more than just a website that has links on it? No. Okay. Okay. Just they had to come up with a special name for it. It's like when people ask me what a Discord is, and I'm like. Ah, it's the same shit we've had for 20 years, but yeah, it's new it's and new worse and ICQ with better yeah. branding. Yeah, exactly. It's Slack with memes. Yeah. All right. So I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 at checkout to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. That brings us to the end of episode 275. We were joined by the illustrious Jason. Always a pleasure. Jason, thank you again for coming on. It was my pleasure. And James, I will uh, speak to you next week. Thanks to Travis. Thank you to Jason, uh, EDH Rep Commander-in-Chief. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.